Tonight on This is Vinyl Tap, they met in a hurricane. We could watch the spaceship. Maybe they would take us on a trip. I've run out of excuses and people I can blame. If she ever asked me to, I'd do it all again. This ain't nothing new to me. Well, it's just like going home. It's kind of like the sunsets. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we have one of those stories for you tonight. This is Doug Cooper reporting from the Vinegaroon Saloon, where I am joined by Power Pop Tony. Howdy, everybody. Uh, J.M. Rowe from Colorado. What part of Colorado yep. are you in, Jonathan J.M. Rowe? I am in the uh, northeastern part of Colorado. Does uh, the town actually, have a name? Is there a name? <laughs> Estes Park, Colorado. Place Estes I Park, Colorado. Is that where the overlook is? There is an overlook. There's a, there's a couple of overlooks here. It's where Jonathan was born on his 27th year when he came home <laughs> to a place he'd never been before. <laughs> when I was two years old. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, enough about Colorado. What's uh we're gonna talk about a good old country band from Canada? Toronto. <laughs> We've covered a lot of Canadians on this show, and it's made me start to wonder if Canada is big for its size when it comes to music. It seems to be. We have a a band, it's a big band in Canada. And not a big band here. And yeah, we're, we're usually that's England and not here, but tonight it's Canada and not here. We're talking about a band called Blue Rodeo. Doug Cooper had never heard of this band before, so you know it's not my pick. Uh, J.M. Jonathan Rowe, was this your pick? It was not my pick. And we've uh, never had a listener an- recommend it. So that leaves one person. Dun, dun, dun. Power Pop T. That would be I. That would be you. Okay, but before we ask all the boring questions that we always ask, I'm going to ask both of y'all a surprise question. Uh-oh. And I hate uh, your surprises, Doug. Jonathan J.M. Rowe is going to go first since it's going to take his answer about 30 minutes to get here. <laughs> that <laughs> was Mark. fast. That was pretty fast. You may not be delayed anymore, J.M. You better watch your language. <laughs> I'm going to ask this question. If you like blank, blank, and blank, you will like Blue Rodeo. Jonathan J.M. Rowe, you're on the spot and you're first. Okay. If you like Pure Prairie League and you like Neil Young and you like Poco, you will like Blue Rodeo. Okay. 
We're going to not comment on JM's uh, comment. Yep. And we're going to go straight to Power Pop T. Oh, yeah. That's pick three bands. Yes. Okay. Flying Burrito Brothers. Flying Burrito Brothers. I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to I'm trying to be thoughtful about my answer rather than just saying what comes comes well, straight from your gut. As um, as you can tell from our mail, you're thought, you're always considered the thoughtful one. Uh, I don't think so. I think you just got mail about how thoughtful you are. I um, think it was more about wonderful, and <laughs> by that I think it was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I'm going to put out there? I'm going to say um, the Jayhawks and. Um, I'm going to say um, I'm going to throw this out there: the Desert Rose Band. Well, I can see that. Um, I can see that. I'm going to say that I think Poco was a very good answer. I think Neil Young was about as good as if you had said Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reason why I said Neil Young, but I'll. Is it because he's you, Canadian? You, you think all Canadians you, are the same? They are so tired of no, that jam. No. Now, and I'm talking he, specifically. Do they sound about like Rush album. too? No, I'm I'm talking specifically about this album. Maybe not all of uh, Blue comes Rodeo, a time. but this comes a time definitely comes to mind when I think of uh, this album. Okay, well, uh, Doug, do you have three bands? No, I, I didn't. I didn't want to answer that I, question because I don't have it. I'll but t- I do like Poco. <laughs> I like the answer Poco, and I think I like the answer Desert Rose. I'll tell you a band that when this when Blue Rodeo first hit the scene that a lot of people said, and I think it's a lazy answer. It's an obvious answer, but it's a lazy answer. It's obvious for not the right reasons, and that was the band. Who compared them to the band? Uh, I'm, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I wish you could see my face right now because I'm in complete shock that anyone thinks that. Well, they're Canadian, and they have a country flavor to them. That's mm-hmm. really it. Right. That's really it. Yeah, that's that's and, a very lazy but it's a lazy. I, I was wondering. To me, they're on the opposite spectrum of country than this band yeah i i I, if the band is country uh, i mean it's really it's like rough folk or something yeah i know it's just a lazy answer i think it is a lazy answer and people that said that i would say the the band comes more from the mountains rather than nashville you know like it's the mountain music version of country mother maybell carter version of country and not the you know the Nashville version of country or the Hank Snow version of country, you know, hmm. another Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that broke my heart when I, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with. But he should have been Texan. Oh, it's like finding out Jerry <laughs> Jeff Walker's from New York. I know. Anyway, I don't want to go down that again. We, we always end <laughs> well, up in that drain. We'll start crying. <laughs> Bob Wills ain't even buried in Texas. <laughs> Wayland's out in Arizona. All right, anyway. <laughs> Buddy Holly didn't even crash in Texas. Um, so I'm going to ask Tony some questions. Uh, first, I want to talk about myself, of course. Tony, I had never heard of Blue Rodeo ever, ever, ever. It wasn't even one that I kind of knew about. This is, I feel like we're on Jellyfish again, a complete stranger to this music. Uh, you've been a Blue Rodeo fan for quite a while. Yeah, I found out about them in 89. When Diamond Mind came out, when their second album came out, I there's some speculation. I was talking to a friend of mine this weekend about it, or last weekend about it, um, whether he told me about them or I read about them in Rolling Stone because they had done an interview, I think, in Rolling Stone at that point, or Rolling Stone wrote about them. I know I read about them at the point. I just don't know if my friend Pat had had told me about them because he knew about them as well. We kind of discovered them around the same time, and that was that album, Diamond Mind. Well, 
I've been thinking about you, T, this week as I listened to Blue Rodeo and last week and the week before. I guess I've been listening to this for about five weeks now. Uh, we've had some delays, ladies and gentlemen. Um, this is their eighth album? No. Okay. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So, Outskirts, Diamond Mind, Casino, um, Lost Together, Five Days in July. So, that didn't add up to eight. It's six, right? Okay. Five or six. Let's see. I'm still working on that. Yeah. Um, I didn't do I well. I think it's six. It's her fifth album? Okay, I was even worse than I thought. Okay, so here's the question I have for you, T. Uh-huh. Um, I listened to Casino, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, this sounds a lot more like a Tony album than Blue Rodeo. In fact, I heard a lot of- I mean, Five Days of July. What? It sounds more like a Tony I mean, album than Five Days of July does. It does. Yeah. I, this uh, t- the casino album sounded much more like an album you'd be into than this mm-hmm. one, and I so, am into it. I know you're into it, but I'm confused by the pick, and uh, really, I, I didn't have, I could not come up with an answer for myself why you like this one better, or why you picked this one. I okay, I, I'll you, I'll tell you why. So I um I have two friends that I know like this band a lot, and so I asked both of them. The, the two albums I said, I said, if, if I was going to, I want to do, I want to talk about Blue Roadie on the podcast. Do we do Five Days in July or do we do Casino? One friend said Casino. One friend said Five Days in July. And I start and I listened to them again after that. Um, casino has, there's songs on Casino that are some of my favorite Blue Rodeo songs. There's songs on Casino that I like better than any song on Five Days in July. I think this is a more complete artistic statement by the band. I think this album in general as a whole is a better album are in- they a more mature band by now um maybe i i think maybe um the uh i think they became they sort of became what blue rodeo was meant to be by this album uh casino is a remarkable album and i do want to talk about it a little bit when we talk about the history of the band because there's some interesting stuff about it i mean it was produced by Pete Anderson casino yeah and uh, there goes a connection. Yeah, it does go connection. Are we going there already? Why not? It's got to be pretty fast, I think. Okay. All right, babies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can smell colors. <laughs> I kind of miss your. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a part of our show called Connections. This is when we do a flashback and we look at how this album is connected to albums we've already talked about. Um, And I'm going to go to Tony first to see if he has a connection. Does this album connect to a previous album in any way? Uh, Well, I did. I mentioned Pete Anderson, who is uh, um, at one point Dwight Yoakam's guitarist, and I think probably produced... I think he produced some of that early Dwight Yoakam stuff. They were a team. They were a team. He uh, produced the Steve Forbert album that we talked about. The American and Me. American and Me. What's interesting about Pete Anderson, well, you know what? I'll wait till we talk about it. Yeah, so that's one connection, Pete Anderson. Jonathan Colorado Rowe, do you have a uh, connection? You know, Doug, the only connection I could come up with was the connection that Tony came up with. Um, no, I have no other connection oh, to this band. I mean, there's people on this album that are kind of famous, but they're nobody we've talked about before. Okay, so they're connected because they're famous and we've talked about famous people before. 
Do so you, that counts. Do you have a connection, Doug? I have no connection <laughs> except yeah. for the one yeah. you already mentioned. I've got another connection, another producer, not on this album per se, but another guy who produced Blue Rodeo, the uh, Terry Brown, Terry Brune Brown, oh. pr- produced uh, their first album, Outskirts, and he was a longtime producer of Rush. He produced the uh, Permanent Ways album that we talked about. Um, so there is that. Well, that's interesting. Yes. Wow. I guess there's only that about two or three uh, producers up there, and well, they have to all share them. And we can also talk about the connection of the Red, Rodney Crowell song, because an artist that we t- several artists we've talked about have recorded that song. I don't know if we want to talk about it when we get to the song. or talk Yeah, we'll about talk it. about it when we get there. It's okay. a pretty impressive list. Yep. Uh, yeah. And it probably connects. <laughs> I know it connects to at least four. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. Jonathan Colorado Rowe. Yep. What kind of history do you have with Blue Rodeo? I guess I came to know Blue Rodeo about the casino time. Um, in fact, I absolutely loved that album the first time I heard it. I think that was back in the mid-90s at some point. Probably early. Because it got, it, it got radio them, play at that point. It was getting radio yeah, play in the States when it yeah. came out in 90. Yeah. 91. I liked them so much that I actually went and saw them. Um, think it was on the um let's see hold on I, i've got it written out of my notes here um the album that came after this what was the album that came after this it wasn't tremolo lost lost together oh no after this album was uh yeah it was 10 days in august <clears throat> no i think it well, i think tremolo did come after this didn't it was it tremolo that was the next album anyway i saw them on the album on the tour after this and you know where i saw them where you're not gonna believe this the Electric Lounge. Well, I do believe it because when I, I've seen him, I saw him twice. Once was an, at the old Antones on the drag across from Antone Records. And that was around, that was around the casino yeah. lost together time. And then the last time I saw him was in 2001 yeah. at the Continental Club. Um, what was interesting about that really, show is yeah. Ter- Terry Lacona was in the audience. And then oddly enough, surprise, surprise, they ended up on Austin City Limits the next season. So I assume he liked what he saw, so he got him on Austin City Limits. Oh. I um, and that's why we're experts. One of the reasons why. We're yeah, experts. and I, I will say that they put on a great show. I mean, they, they are just a, a very tight band. And I guess by then they'd been together almost twenty years. And uh I mean they were just very, very tight. I think this is the first or second album that he'd played on, and he was he was very much a highlight of the of the show. He was not the healthiest looking guy. I'll be honest with you. In fact, he's passed away recently. But uh, yeah, he was just. Um, who, who are you talking it, about, it, Jam? It was obvious that guy was having the time of his life up there playing with those guys, and they just put on a great show. I got it. If you ever get a chance to see him live, I highly recommend it. Well, good luck in the U.S. because they don't tour here much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Let's, they look like they're getting towards the, uh, why don't we just settle down and uh, chillax? It, it is odd that this band doesn't have a bigger um, audience in the U.S. There, there's no I, there's no reason I can think of. I can think of one. What's that? And it's not dissimilar than the, of what we did last week. Um, I think it's f- hard to find a landing spot for them. There again, they don't fit neatly into any categories that people are, are expecting. Uh, I struggled a lot with this uh, album, and that was one of the reasons. I I think that might be part of the difficulty people have is where do you put these guys? That surprises me that you struggle. I know you said that um, 
yeah. a couple I'd, weeks I'd ago. I struggled. <laughs> not not XTC struggled, but I did struggle with this. <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah because another reason I picked this album was I thought that you would dig it more than you would dig Casino. Um, well, that's exactly backwards. <laughs> I know. Well, it, what's what's funny about Casino is you know that was as I as I mentioned earlier that got some airplay on the radio and it actually sold some units. I mean the whole one of the one of the reasons they got Pete Anderson to produce it was because he was able to make their songs tight and trim them down. This band has a tendency to be a little jammy. And this album, yeah. there's a couple of songs that they they do that on. And probably uh, Pete Anderson walking in the room makes everyone a little more humble about their guitar playing. Probably. Yeah, and, yeah um, I, they could have been a little more humble about their guitar playing on this album, if you ask me. But well, we'll I, I think only one song says that. I think I think only one song <laughs> really says that. I can't wait to that. talk about that. <laughs> um, but I, what I was going to say is that that so Casino, which was I think their biggest chance to really break in the states, comes out. And then I think they're touring for that album and never mind my Nirvana hits. And all of a sudden, nobody gives a crap. Every time Tony talks about a band, they get wiped out by grunge. It's true, though. That's why I hate (laughs) grunge so much. That album was the shot heard around the world for music and not in a good way. Maybe we should say the fart heard around the world. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, Tony, it sounds like we're getting into some history here. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's a game called football. <laughs> and in our country, we play a game called football. It's different than the rest of the world. In our country, we play a game called football where you don't use your feet. And uh, naturally, we named it football. And we have <laughs> never talked about football uh, with a band before. It's come up a little bit. But in Blue Rodeo, we have a band that play, that met playing football yeah and it's canadian football so it's not soccer no i know yeah it's It's actually like like ours except they can throw more or something yeah it's close to american football yeah so um well the 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 story goes so we're there's two main guys in this band actually three guys that are throughout the history but the two main guys in the band are great guy named greg they're the songwriters and the singers yeah greg keeler and jim cuddy Greg Keeler moves from Montreal to Toronto to attend high school at North Toronto Collegiate Institute. And Jim Cuddy was, who was a year younger, was also there. They, they actually, before I get to the football story, something happened prior to the football story that sort of instigates a football story. Um, Greg Keeler is in a math class with Jim Cuddy and some of their friends, and he notices them passing notes around and giggling. And uh, this one girl, uh, tosses, tear, tears up the notes and throws them in the trash. And Greg Keeler waits for them to leave. When the class ends, he pulls the notes out and he realizes they've been making fun of the new kid. So he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about that. So I don't know when this was, maybe a year later, they're uh, playing a football scrimmage. And uh, Jim Cuddy was the quarterback of the junior football team. And Greg Keeler was a defensive end. And he blindside, he hits Greg uh, Jim Cuddy on the blind side and knocks him out. Jim Cuddy gets up, obviously upset, and starts screaming at him. Keeler grabs him by the face, Max, and throws him down on the ground. And that's how the two of them sort of made their introductions to each other. Even though they met on sort of unceremonious uh, terms in, in terms of getting at each other, they actually, because they ran in the same circles, they became pretty pretty good friends. And uh, 
Keeler talks about how much he admired Jim Cuddy and his and his buddies, Cuddy and his buddies, because they all they could all play guitar and he couldn't, and uh, he was always impressed by that. He was a jock, I guess, which is kind of funny considering he's the sort of the the more I, I would say artistically inclined member of the band in terms of you know being artsy. Yeah, I um, think if you were asked if you were given a picture of the two gentlemen and asked which one of these guys works for NPR, I think it'd be Cuddy. Yeah. And, 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 uh, yeah, it's funny. And, uh, Keeler doesn't look like he was a jock, but he was a big time jock. Evidently he's a pretty good goalie. Um, pretty well-known goalie, um, in terms of the circles he traveled in anyway. So the, basically, um, they, was that know, hockey goalie or soccer goalie? Hockey. This yeah. is Canada. We're talking. I about. was, I was pretty sure it was hockey, but I just, you know, a lot of people, uh, live in places where they actually do play soccer. <laughs> Cuddy, um, I mean, Keeler actually came to the guitar pretty late. I think he bought his first one in his 20s, and he said that he bought a an Ibanez because Jim Cuddy had one. I can't remember. One of them had a white one and one of them had a black one. I All can't right. remember which was which. But um, anyway, they, they the, the two of them kind of stay in touch, and uh, around 1978, they form a band, a band called the Hi-Fis. And uh, it's got Jim Sublet on drums and Malcolm Shell on bass. And the, you know, 78, what happens in 78? Why is everybody forming bands in 1978? Punk rock. Punk rock, right. So they form what they call a punk rock band. I'm not sure it's it's what would you consider classic classic punk. But um, the band called the Hi-Fis. And uh, because the, the one positive thing, not that there's not other positive things about the punk rock mystique, is they realized it was pretty simple to write their own songs. So from the get-go, they were performing their own tunes. And around 1980, they they released a single, uh, and the A side was a song called "What uh, Look What You've Done." So that to me doesn't sound necessarily sound punk as much as it sounds power pop. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like yeah. their intentions were good, but they got a little, uh, a little melodic, melodic and, and poppy, <laughs> right? Because those arpeggios came in and kind of ruined the. And, and the what I didn't play on that song is it starts off with the first, essentially the first note of Hard Day's Night. It's kind of hard to miss it when you hear that song from the beginning. It's it has that 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 chime that a Hard Day's Night starts off with, which is pretty. And fun. you can't blame them. I, I think everybody would like to start a song with. Oh, that. it's incredible! It's great start. That song actually got some airplay. They got a little bit of uh, local notoriety from it. It was played on uh, Q107 in Toronto, which is a big rock station. Uh, um, and they signed, ended up signing a deal with this label called ready records and on the eve of their first recording session the uh label goes belly up <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah so uh also around that time they you know they've been playing in local the local music scene the local bars started shifting what they were doing and the toronto music scenes essentially according to the two of them sort of dried up so they decide to pack up and move away you know where they moved to doug new york they moved to New York. New York City. You can make it there. You can make it anywhere, right? And they named it twice. <laughs> so they moved there in 91, and they start a new band, a band called Fly to France, which is just a simply an awful name for a band, if you ask me. <laughs> but it's got Steve Ordon, uh, Adarno on drums and Faisal Khan on bass. 
And that that's more of kind of the new wave approach to things. They're playing ska and punk and straightforward rock and reggae. And uh, they have this this song. There's a couple of things online you can find, but I'm going to play this one song called uh, Face in the Window. So definitely, you know. Is that pub rock? Uh, sounds sounds a lot like Elvis Costello. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a shame that the band's name was so so significantly bad because it's a pretty good song. Uh, interestingly enough, um, they uh, they were, at the time were doing some of the songs that ended up on the first Blue Rodeo album as well, but they're much faster. I'll post one of them on on the website. Much faster versions. Um, rose colored glasses is the one I'm thinking of where they just kind of really fast. It's fast paced and, and has that kind of energy that the song I just played has. Now they had two hits, a rose colored glasses and try. Yeah. But that's off of, when they were, that's, uh, that's when they were rodeo. rodeo. That was their first, first bit, but, um, they were playing rose colored glasses when they were fly to France back in the eighties before they, before they recorded it in 87 for outskirts. Can, you don't know anything about why they chose that flight to France. I, I was trying to. I, I saw something online, and I was trying to go back and find it to verify it. I think they were walking by a travel a travel agent, and they saw a poster and thought that would, was a good name. I, that may be. I could have completely made that up, but in my mind, I remember seeing something and trying to verify it. So, uh, if we're able to correct that, we will do so on the webpage. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have information we don't have on that. Or if you're in Blue Rodeo and you're, <laughs> you have some authority, please contact us immediately <laughs> be, at. Uh, tapping vinyl. What is it? Dot com. Tapping vinyl. You can go gmail. to the website or Gmail. I, I would absolutely be thrilled if somebody from Blue Radio reached out to us. But anyway, um, you told us we suck. Never, <laughs> never review us again. I hope that's not the case. But you're so, no Randy Bachman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I would agree with that. I am no Randy Bachman. But um, I wish I could play guitar. So. Um, you know, again, New York, while they loved living there, didn't really pan out for them uh, musically. It's funny that when they're talking about it, they're like, look, this is New York. You can see uh, any great band any yeah. night of the week. Why would you go see some local band? Like I saw that interview. Set? Yeah. And they had a great time, but uh, it made me think that's uh, Austin has a lot of guts to talk about being the live capital, <laughs> the live music capital of the world where who knows what you get. Walk into any of those jazz clubs on uh, in the village, and there'd yeah. be anybody yeah. playing in Austin. So they end up moving back to Toronto in '84, and um, but before they left, they recorded a demo with the rhythm section of a New Zealand band called the Like Mine, and officially changed their name to Blue Rodeo, mainly because they wanted to have something that had kind of a psychedelic cowboy feel to it. Um, and they moved. Is that the, you don't have any more information? I was really looking forward to finding out more about why they. Chose well, that name. I, what I remember when I first got into them in 89 was the name Blue Rodeo came from the fact that they were uh, a roots band that was uh, stemming from a rock and roll uh, base. So a, a rock and roll foundation, but playing more country tins roots music. So blue as in the blues and rodeo as in the country. I, I don't know if that's the case or not. What I saw recently was... Uh, Keeler said he wanted they wanted a psychedelic cowboy name and they thought that that worked. So 
I think purple's more psychedelic than blue. You're probably right about that, but purple purple rodeo uh, might get you different kinds of fans. Indigo um, rodeo. There, there you go. Uh, very similarly to Lucinda Williams uh, moving to California, when they move back to Toronto, they, there's an explosion of roots music all of a sudden, and and they move back in the middle of this uh, sort of revitalization of uh, the the area that they you know where they first started. And there's this guy named Handsome Ned who was backed by a bunch of ex-punks and they essentially turned country and he was sort of the uh, center of that scene. That's handsome, Ned, and, and some one of good stuff. Blue Rodeo's, <laughs> one of Blue Rodeo's accomplishments that we haven't talked about yet is they turned me into a handsome Ned fan. Yeah, and I'd never heard of the guy before. And you've, uh, and now you've uh, you've been seeking him. I've out. been looking all over for hand, handsome Ned music, and I've, I've dug everything I've heard. Yeah, it's good stuff. So if, if you're handsome Ned, uh, also write us, please. You know, uh, they said that they they felt like I don't know if they said in that interview that you and I both watched or if I read it someplace, but they said that he he. It felt like he had more of an Austin sort of feel to his music. Yeah, they did say that. And, uh, you know, so. But there were all these roots bands coming out of that scene. And uh, it just really reminded me of reading about Lucinda kind of going to California and going, oh, I found my place. So when they go back to Toronto after being in New York, it's it's like coming home. Well, uh, when they did say that about an Austin sound, it made me want to uh, step outside and see what the Austin sound sounds like somebody from far away like Canada and what they would compare it to. What's the Austin sound? What's the Nashville sound? What, what's their sound? what do you think of that? I mean, what do you think of that handsome Ned? Is that Austin? It does sound like Austin to me, but it also sounds normal. That's why I'm saying I'd like yeah. to step out of myself yeah. because to me, that sounds yeah. uh, just like Lucinda Williams sounded normal to me, even though she was doing something new. Right. So they, uh, they, yeah. those two guys end up, forming a band fairly easily because of the scene. Um, they meet Cleve Anderson, who is their, the first, the drummer on their first two albums. He's a, actually a mailman and uh, ends up leaving the band to become a full-time mailman eventually. But he, they meet him in a bar and he asks him to join. And he says, yes. And they also placed, I love these ad stories. They placed an ad in a, a Toronto alternative press magazine. And this is what, how, what the ad read. If you've dropped acid at least 20 times, lost two good years to drugs and another three to, uh, to five to booze, play a bass and a drum and can still manage to keep time like a metronome, call Blue Rodeo. <laughs> that was their ad. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> who else is it that, oh, I'm thinking of the Shackleton ad for the endurance. Yeah. Little, no money, little chance of safe return. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So they end up, uh, Basil Donovan, who is the, uh, that when I mentioned earlier about three guys outside of the two songwriters who have been sort of a permanent in this band, he's the other guy. He's a bassist. Um, he's told by a buddy who sees that ad, you should give these guys a call. 
It turns out he was also in a former band with Cleve Anderson, so he already knew about what they were doing. So he ends up giving them giving them a, a, a nod, and they and they pick him. The cool thing about him is he was a vet of uh, like real country bands playing around Toronto, and Toronto had a pretty solid country scene. A lot of the bands that or a lot of the bars that ended up embracing this sort of more uh, punk infused root stuff were uh, like the the Horseshoe initially were had co- like traditional country artists coming through. Um, yeah. So. And, uh, yeah, one time it, it, it seemed like country had a, a more of a mainstream appeal up there, and not the schlock country that we do we listen to here. But I remember being up in Canada one time. I guess it was early '90s, and turning on what was the Canadian version of MTV. And it seemed like almost every artist that was coming on uh, had some sort of country vibe, to, had some sort of country didn't have. It was very different we're seeing here in the states, where of course grunge was taking over at that time. Well, JM on the on the Canadian version of MTV. What did they have at the beginning of the show? Uh, I can't remember. Astronauts, or I, I, I don't know. Uh, I clearly, they didn't have. have a guy bouncing around on the moon. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and and I'm trying to remember who we talked about. Canadian artists we talked about um, that had was in a square dancing band. Who was that? I think that was uh, Leonard Cohen. Oh, it was Leonard Cohen. Yeah. So <laughs> the last one that you would guess. <laughs> yeah, Leonard Cohen. So I mean, can't country music definitely has an appeal to me. I think a lot of us forget how rural that country is. I mean, there's a lot of open yeah. spaces. You know, I don't. I was looking at the map today at all those islands they have at the top. I don't know <laughs> what that territory is called, but it's ridiculous. And they're only using the little bit right next to us. Yeah. It's because well, yeah, the rest right. of it's so cold, I'm sure. Something like 90, yeah, something like 90% of the population of Canada lives, lives. At, uh, 80 miles of yeah. the U.S. border. So uh, the last piece of the puzzle is a guy named Bob Wiseman, who's the keyboardist piano player. And they meet him through his brother, Howard Wiseman, who they they lived with him in New York and he also has an apartment in Toronto. So when they move back, Greg Keeler ends up living with them. And Bob Weisman also lives there. And uh, pretty soon uh, they they hook up and he ends up joining the band as, like I said, as a pianist. And they play their first official Blue Rodeo gig with uh, all the guys in place in February of 1985 at the Rivoli um, Bar. And uh, they're pretty pretty soon. They're establishing a pretty regular uh, touring schedule, at least around local bars. On on the the area of Toronto is called Queen Street West. That's the district of Toronto where all these places are. That's where the the legendary Horseshoe Tavern is. And I'm I'm just gonna get. I don't know if they're listening, but a shout out to Jeff and Tara who own that place. I'm sporting your shirt as we speak. So um, anyway, um, so they're playing locally around there, trying to get their. Uh, the word out and everything and and they become very very big locally and then in 87 they finally released their debut album outskirts um which is two years after they form and uh, as i mentioned when we were talking about the uh connections it was produced by terry brown who was of you know most famously a producer for rush and they're and the funny thing about that album is they released their first single which is the title track outskirts it gets zero radio play they initially sold 5,000 copies and the band thought, hey, this this is all right, 5,000 copies. But then the label said, if you guys don't do something quick, we're going to drop you. And they're like, uh-oh. So <laughs> they released their second single, Try, and it takes off. Every time.
So yeah, that song was a monster for them. It gets it peaks at number one on the country tracks chart and uh, the Canadian version of Billboard, number three on the adult contemporary chart, number six on the top singles chart. So it kind of puts Blue Rodeo on the map. In fact, so much so that at the 1989 Juno Awards, that song's named Single of the Year, Video of the Year, and uh, and it just is the first of many, many Junos they're going to win uh, throughout their career. I've never heard of the Juno Award until researching. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I'm a Rush fan. I've heard of Juno Award. It's their version of the uh, Grammys. They're being Canadians? Yeah, Canadians' version yeah. of the Grammys. Maybe um, there's more integrity than the Grammys. <laughs> Probably. That <laughs> album That album ends up selling uh, initially selling 200,000 copies, which in Toronto, um, I don't remember if we mentioned this or not, but platinum is 80,000 units. In so, Canada. In Canada. Yeah, I said Toronto in Canada. So 200,000 copies is over double platinum, right? Yeah, I believe <laughs> if I could do my math, <laughs> it's almost triple, almost platinum. triple yeah. platinum. Yeah, we we found out we're what are we are we platinum in Canada in terms of our download numbers? Yeah, yeah we're we're ju- we just we're just platinum. I think so we're gonna go get a Juno. <laughs> <laughs> um, why is it called Juno? That's a good question. Zeus's wife, right? I don't know why it's called Juno. I, I should have. Why is it called the Grammys? Yeah, I mean, gotta name it something. That's a gramophone. Oh, maybe the Ju- the Junophone. <laughs> Any, anyway, um, and then they in the, their next album is Diamond Mind, and as I'd mentioned, that's the one that I, I got me hooked on the band. That's, what year was that? That was eighty nine. Um, this so just to talk a bit about their jamminess. So this album was interesting because it has these little instrumental interludes that are named on the album, but it's just a little piano piece or whatever. And then they have songs on there. The title track on that album is over eight minutes long, um, Diamond Mine. And it, uh, you know, it's got, it's got some uh, ballads on it. Uh, we just heard Try, but th- and that's sort of something that is quintessential in Blue Rodeo is that Jim Cuddy will do one of these heart-wrenching ballads. And this one's got, this album's got two great ones on it. But the song that really grabbed me were the really shorter up-tempo ones that were much more sort of in my wheelhouse in terms of the music I was listening to at that time. Um, and How Long, which is the, the song that really got me. I'm going to play a little bit of that. Anyway, I, does he have a southern yeah, accent? I, uh, maybe I don't know. I heard a little. Uh, maybe. Well, I mean, you're gonna talk yes. talk about southern accents. You why don't you go bring up Bruce Springsteen and talk to him about his? I, I've always <laughs> I've always thought that was hilarious. There she was on her front porch. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> or when he's got yeah, his cowboy uh, one, hat and he's selling jeeps. <laughs> one connection I just realized on this album is Malcolm Byrne. Was the producer on on, on Diamond he, Mine? Yeah, and he played with Amy Lou Harris on that uh, uh, Wrecking Ball. Oh, okay. I guess if you get Eno in there, you're going to have not Eno. I mean Daniel uh, Lenoir. Lenoir. Daniel you're going to have some Canadians. Yeah. Anyway, that that album also goes platinum initially, and then we come to the the album that it was a struggle of mine not to pick, and that's Casino. Um, and Jam, you said that's the one that uh, got you going. Yes. Yeah, that's the one that I was, I think I heard it like in 93, probably around that time. And I was just hooked. I thought it was a fantastic. It's 
kind of turned me into, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily a Blue Rodeo fan, but certainly a uh, became very intrigued with Blue Rodeo and listened to that album. So I, mean, I listened to this album a little bit too, but, and I think I listened to the one uh, Diamond Mine as well, because I remember, because I like those musical interludes in the song. So I just, uh, that casino was significantly, as we mentioned earlier, significantly more poppy uh, sounding and the songs were a lot shorter. Uh, I'm going to play one that I love uh, just to show you uh, the distinction between the two. I mean that's a that's a roots roots flavored power pop song. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> so yeah. I need to get to the bottom of this. Okay, we've we've addressed it before, but I want to make sure it's in concrete. Okay, are you tied on these two albums in terms of how much you like them? Well, I again I, I'm going to use I'm going to use a metaphor I've used in the past. Oh, we appreciate metaphor. I feel like Five Days in July is Young Frankenstein and Casino is Blazing Saddles. And what I mean by that is Young Frankenstein's a better movie in general, but there are bigger laughs in in Blazing Saddles. And so I think Casino's got better songs on it, but overall I think the the all of 5 Days in July is I think in general is just a better album overall. What about Bernadette Peters? What about Bernadette Peters? She's very talented. What does she have to do with anything? Wasn't she in Young Frankenstein? No. No, you're saying Madeline Terry Gar. Ma- Madeline Kahn and Terry Gar. Terry Gar, yeah. Oh, that's who I was. That's the talented woman I was thinking of. Madeline Kahn? No, Terry, Terry Gar. Gar. Oh, she yeah. was also on the Star Trek episode. She's darling. Anyway, uh, I know that's a weird metaphor, but that's kind of how I think about those albums. Um, and uh, I'm more likely to skip around on Casino and more and more likely to just hit play on Five Days in July and listen to the whole thing. So, and since we talk about albums in their entirety on this podcast, I figured that was the one to pick. It's, we're album, album people. I, 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 I tell you, when I was listening to Casino, I was walking around the gym with my hands up in the air going, why didn't they pick this one? This sounds like Tony. Yeah. This is the, tono, the more, most Tononian thing I've ever heard. I think, uh, I think I was thinking about on the way over here that we should have a violation podcast where we do the album we should have picked. And we just we just talk about a band yeah. we've done and just pick the talk about the album we should have picked. The other weird thing about Five Days in July that I'll just talk about now that I was not aware of how much that album, how popular that album was in Canada. I knew I liked it, yeah. and I just I I picked it, and then I started doing research, and I was doing I I went to see what people ranked, how people ranked Blue Rodeo albums, and this one, about Five Days in July, is always ranked number one. Casinos usually two. That album, Five Days in July, sold 600,000 copies in Canada. It went whatever Jeez. platinum that, six times platinum at least. I mean, that's crazy. I had no idea that that album was that big. Do you know how it did here? Uh, not very well. I don't think it even charted. Wow. I, I believe Casino charted in, in the States. Um, I, but- got, I got a question. Uh, I, I, I would guess you two are probably not qualified to answer this question. But when you listen to country music, I always think of this is scotch irish music basically scotch irish folk music that comes to the united states and gets into the appalachian and the mm-hmm. south and develops into what finally shows up on the opera and then from there kind of spreads out and explodes in all different directions yeah is is there a thing in canada where some type of music started there and became 
something that Blue Rodeo is, is borrowing from, or is that uh, all derived from the United States or I, I American would, country music? I, JM, I'll let you talk to that. I have no idea. I don't want to. I don't want to insult anybody by saying it's all coming from America because I'm assuming there's something up there. I mean, there's Scotch Irish people up in Canada. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was, I was going to say. There's a lot of Scotch Irish people. Well, they're so nice that there can't be too many. <laughs> Scott Irish people once it started almost all of our wars before uh, we started fighting with Europe um, yeah. um, I, I'm going to say that most of it came from the United States but I'm but sure I don't know there's... anything about indigenous Canadian music and doing this band yeah. made me really curious ladies and gentlemen if you have information yeah. on that please vinyltop at gmail.com yeah. it's tappingvinyl at gmail.com yeah I, I don't know I'm, I'm assuming but as we mentioned earlier the country music has a pretty strong hold on that country in, in a lot of ways yeah. um, but and it's a, I mean and like I was saying earlier it, it, the especially in the 90s I think there was a, a Bands like Blue Rodeo were big. Bands like, I mean, have you ever heard of the Tragically Hip? Yep. They were a huge band. And yep. they're kind of in that, you know, strumming acoustic guitars. I mean, they're a little bit more rocking. But, um, yeah, it's, they're, I think, besides Rush and Triumph and, you know, those, that kind of the prog heavy metal stuff, they're, a lot of that music that's popular over there does have a country tinge. Well, no, think about the Guess Who. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the Guess right. Who definitely has a roots influence to it. Neil Young, I mean, where did that come oh, from? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, Johnny um, Mitchell, course, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Some good, very good stuff. We got to do a Guess Who album. We got to do a Johnny Mitchell album. We do a Guess Who album. We can talk about Randy Bachman all we want to on yeah. that one. Um, <laughs> He'll probably want to be a guest. The the weird thing I know we mentioned briefly about uh, grunge killing Casino, but there's it, an interesting story. One of the guys is talking about how he ran into a guy in Dallas who uh, wanted. The his he worked for a radio station Dallas and I don't know which one but he wanted them to play begged begged their program director can we play this album and he wouldn't do it and the reason why is again that thing we talked about Lucinda Williams the Casino was too rock for country and too country for rock and uh, and no and it just it sold I think initially thirty five thousand copies and then just sort of died in the U S and didn't do anything after that. I I don't want to keep beating this dead horse. I think it's an absolute crime that more people in the states don't know about this band. It's really just breaks my heart. Well, yeah, that's what we're for, Tony. Well, hopefully we'll we'll turn some people on. I don't know. Hordes of people will be turning. Um, I don't know if you guys knew that in between Casino and their next album, Lost Together, they were actually Meryl Streep's backup band in Postcards from the Edge. I did see that. Really? Yeah, there. Uh, I didn't know she could sing, but I, I listened to some of the music, and she sounded pretty good. Yes, there, there. I, I did see the movie where she sounded horrible. What was that? That was so funny. Oh, she, yeah. She's an eccentric, rich woman who um, thinks she's an opera star, and she gets in front of a giant stage and just makes a fool of herself. And Meryl yeah. Streep is brilliant in that. So film. she did that on purpose. Yeah. Oh yeah, she was. Oh yeah, it was. It was probably harder to sound bad the way she sound bad than it yeah. is for her to sound good. But um, yeah, I wish it, I knew the name of that show. It's just funny they got tapped to be her backup or be her band in that movie, and they talk about how they uh, <laughs> when they went to L.A. they all had their own rooms for the first time ever. They had their own <laughs> own hotel rooms, and and then uh, after so for about a week to ten days they were living high on the hog, and then they went right back to being sharing a, a rooms in a Motel Six and like. I don't know, someplace in Nebraska or something. But um, the one thing I didn't mention is that uh, there's a bit of a, a sea change in terms of the the, um, 
the band lineup. So, like I said, Cleve Anderson, the drummer, had left, and they got a new drummer, Mark French, for Casino. He's only on that album. Uh, by the time they moved to Lost Together, they I believe that's the last album that Bob Weissman, the piano player, is on. He, he uh, yeah, Pete, that's right. Pete Anderson talks about how he wasn't really really interested in being in a band anymore when they were recording Casino. So he was surprised that, that he even stayed along for the for the next album, Lost Together. But um, yeah, and I think he went on to write, be kind of a successful composer, and he's written stuff for kind of have a. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, and he actually did. He's collaborated with a bunch of people, and uh, he, you know, he's, um, yeah. I think uh, splitting off was uh, probably mutual mutual benefit to both of uh, both the band and him. Uh, but what happens on Lost Together is they so they get the the new drummer Glenn uh, Milcham, but they also get this guy named Kim DeChamps, and uh, he is. A, their steel guitarist and he's actually all over a bunch of austin artists too i mean he's played with a lot of people in in austin um and uh, and adds an element to so what they sort of uh maybe downgraded on in terms of bob weissman's jazzy improvisation they they gain in getting a steel guitar player because it really adds another element to this music it's a dominant element well especially on the album we're talking about tonight yeah, Lost Lost Together uh, ends up going double platinum in ca- Canada, selling over two hundred thousand copies, and and then and then we get to the album that we're talking about tonight, and that is you're the host, ladies and gentlemen. Five days in July, Tony. Yeah, why is it called Five Days in July? Because it took him five days to record it in July. There you go. I mean, liter- and literally took him five days to record it, <laughs> and. They went into one of the most expensive studios in <laughs> in Canada. Well, JM, uh, talk about that a little bit because I know you're you're yeah. that's kind of something that you found interesting. Yeah. So on the advice of uh, of all people, Daniel Lanois, who's kind of a studio whiz, barn did they go in? They, Greg, Greg, Greg uh, Keeler bought a farm um, in yeah. pe- outside near Petersburg, Ontario, and so they they went to his house. Yeah, and that's where. And these were not not even supposed to be polished. These were these were supposed to be demos. Yeah, demos. And then they uh, decided that they liked them as, as pretty much as is. I think well, they did a little bit of overdubbing and stuff. I think what it ha- doesn't yeah. sound rough at all. No, and I think what happened was they got a mo- mobile. Uh, yeah, they they, they got yeah they had something come out there. But what, they've been touring in uh, either New Zealand or Australia. I can't remember. And during their downtime. They would just sit around and play acoustic guitars and do work on these songs. So the reason it only took five days is they knew all these songs like the back of their hands by the time they sat down to record them. And That's just like last week too. Yeah, a lot of parallels, ladies and, and gentlemen. And they, um, yeah, and they felt comfortable in that acoustic setting, I think, because that's how they were doing stuff when they were on the road, and so it just made sense. Uh, this is a. Uh, just a primary i mean part of it i think has to do with the rural setting but also they just embraced this is their most acoustic sounding album up to this point i i've got a question about the album cover t Uh uh-huh this is a very interesting album cover (laughs) we have we have uh blue rodeo written across the top and it's very interesting uh the way it's written um i don't know what font that is it looks like fire and rope put together then there is a house on fire, and there's a mm-hmm. lake, and there is an air mattress with a, a looks like a hollow by Gretsch on top, yeah, uh, which is a guitar, ladies and gentlemen, and the guitar matches the fire. Uh, 
obviously a well thought out cover, but I can make no, I can take no meaning away from it. Nor do I understand the back, which looks like a, a is that a, is that a, what's a headboard? Is a headboard in a, uh, in a barn? Um, it, it looks like a headboard in a barn. So that's probably very symbolic. If you're uh, a symbiologist, please contact us and let us know what's going on. I have this. no, I have no idea. It's an interesting album cover. It catches it's the eye. It's very interesting, but, um, and it pops. I always love yeah. the album cover. I, it, and it does have. Uh, Jam mentioned it has a dragonfly on the back that looks like kind of looks like a city at night. So I don't know what's going on here, but it's very meaningful. The uh, picture of the band on the inside of the CD is very sort of 1970s. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. I don't know, Graham Parker, Van Morrison type of uh, weird... Uh, and not a single one of those gentlemen visits his mother without hearing about the need for a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> J.M., do you want to talk about some of the guests? I mean, we can talk about when they get this song, but just in general, some of the guests that are on this album. The only person I'm really aware of who's on this album, a um, guest on this album that I was familiar with beforehand is Sarah McLaughlin, who's a really, really good singer. And she does write some fairly good song she kind of had she was one of those uh um i don't know what you would call her kind of in that katie lang sort of vibe where she's uh, female singer that people take seriously yeah she gets taken very seriously and um she's actually got a pretty good sense of humor i've seen her in concert um and she you know she she writes all these very serious songs but she she seems like she doesn't take herself all that and she's also canadian is that correct she's canadian Canadian. Um, yeah. well, yeah, I wonder, isn't she most well known for that save the dog commercial? Yeah. She's a really pet enthusiast, but yeah. Isn't she um, known for the and, save the dog commercial jam? Yes, very much. Very. And she, and she frequently gets made fun of for that. There's a great South park, uh, parody of her commercials. If you ever get a chance. South park. I uh, can't help, but make fun of Canada as much as they want to. <laughs> So there's the two other two other people that I, I just want to mention. I don't know much about them. Uh, there's this woman cellist named Ann Bourne who also uh, plays, uh, um, sings backup occasionally, and then a guitarist yeah. by the name of Colin Linden who is a well-known Canadian guitarist. But I, you know, I apologize. I don't know much about him. But those are yeah, the other two. Um, well, that cellist makes a very very important in my opinion. Well, and just uh, again before. I just want to talk about, so the band on this album, because there was another personal change, it's, of course, Greg Keeler and Jim Cuddy and uh, Basil Donovan on bass. But then uh, drums is Glenn Mil- Milchern, who we talked about before. But James Gray, I don't believe I'd mentioned that he, uh, he yeah. had become the new uh, keyboardist. He also plays accordion on this. And then, of course, we yeah. mentioned Kim DeChamps, who plays a myriad. He plays mandolin, banjo, pedal steel, lap steel. It doesn't say dobro, but I think the three of us, are pretty pretty it's gotta be dobro there's dobro yeah. someplace somebody's playing the dobro on this album yeah, yeah. so yeah playing it quite well yeah anyway so, you know, it's interesting you guys before we get into the, the the first song you guys were saying that you this doesn't sound like demos to you to me it it, it <laughs> does sound like demos not so much in the recording but maybe a little bit in the execution of the songs but we can get to that when we're, we're talking about each song but um uh you know, after listening to this and doing some research on it, finding out that these were recorded so quickly and recorded um, with the idea that they would be demos did kind of a part of me went, aha, yeah, I can see that. I really want Doug to weigh in on the kitchen table test on these songs as we're talking through them. Because I was curious, when I was listening to this, I kept thinking, does 
do, do these songs pass that? I don't know if you can talk generally about it, Doug, or if you just want to talk about the songs as they come up. But I, I think I can talk generally. Um, they, this band, remind, I keep thinking about last week, this band comes up with songs that you think are going to follow a certain pattern, and they surprise you, and they have some wonderful melody. And one of the things I appreciate is most of these songs have basically a three-part structure, and I love that in music. They have a, a verse, a pre-chorus, and a chorus, and that's really common. Um, it must be their mode of writing. Uh, so I really enjoy that part. I really enjoy the music. All of those, most of the tunes, I think all the tunes would pass the kitchen table test easily because they all they are not dependent on the instruments to make them interesting. And- and just so we can, for those who might be dialing in as the first time the kitchen table test is, since I brought it up, <laughs> hmm. it's uh, it's whether or not you could sit around a kitchen table with just your acoustic guitar and perform these songs, right? And people would, there would be enough there for people to grab onto and enjoy. Right. Uh, yeah. My problem's going to be, I don't think they write very many interesting lyrics. And yeah. it seems they have trouble with a variety, they, they seem to have a trouble coming up with a variety of themes. Well, almost right. all the themes seem like they're very. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I, in fact, I've got that in my notes. I think that that's on purpose, though. I think this album. That's why I think it's one of their like it's a a, a unified artistic statement because there, there's a theme on this album. Most of the songs fall into the theme. There is, and uh, and I think that's on purpose. I I, I want also you. I I don't mean to blame anyone if they're stuck. I mean, if if you just got dumped. You're going to write songs about getting dumped for right. a long time before you th- yeah. think about writing songs about blue bonnets. So, a couple of yeah. things I want to talk about as well before we get into it. I don't know how much uh, we discussed, because um, I can't remember everything we talked about already, about how this is one of those bands that has, I think I did mention it, has those two very unique singers. You've got Jim Cuddy with this beautiful tenor, and then you've got uh, Keeler, Greg Keeler, who's yeah. got this raspy more sort of, um, I don't know what yeah. you'd call it, just a raspier. Uh, well, uh, I got a name voice. for it. I would yeah. call it a rock and roll voice, but he doesn't use it a lot. For he rock can. And roll. I mean, he can, but he doesn't. I mean, well, he does, but I would do more. There's just times where I would like to hear well, his voice. And I've seen him live before, and I know he could do it. Well, what I want to say, belt it up. what I want to say about them, though, is that they have magic when they sing together, I think. I think oh, those yeah. guys sound yeah. amazing when they sing together. Almost uni- almost better yeah. than when they don't when they're not singing together. Yeah. It really something magical happens there. Some something yeah. that happens with a lot of bands in my opinion is if they sing together for a long time, they start to sound alike. Yeah. I think yeah. that hap- I think the Beatles sounded a lot alike. Uh of course, yeah. everyone's listened to the Beatles so much they can tell them apart, but I think if you came up on them and had never heard it before, you would think they sounded alike. Uh, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys yeah. never sound alike. Um, yeah. their, their voices are very different. And I think that helped me prevent any kind of monotony. Well, the, yeah. the, the other thing I'm going to say is uh, I'm going to steal a page from Doug's book and say I, it's very difficult for me to be uh, unbiased about this band 
because they've been such a part of my musical DNA for such a long time of my life. I mean, I've been a fan uh-huh. since 1989. And I mean, when I mean a fan, this is one of those bands that I feel like can do. I mean, every album is great. I think they're, I think personally, I think their consistency is really remarkable. So it's going to be a little difficult. I, I, I worked on it. There are some things I have, I have issues with that I didn't have before trying to listen to these songs critically, but, uh, it, it's going to be a little difficult. So you guys can call me out on stuff if I sound a little too Pollyannish sometimes. Yeah. All T, right. I was wondering, T, if you might play the first song for us. Sure. That song is called Five Days in May, which, of course, causes a great deal of confusion. <laughs> And who was singing there? That is uh, Jim Cuddy. He's the one with the sweeter voice of the two of them. He has a very polished voice. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. Tony and I had a short, brief conversation weeks ago. Not enough to violate uh, Directive right, 13. Yeah. We did not violate Directive 13. But I did mention to Tony, I was struggling a little bit. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to apologize for some of the noises you've heard the, today. Uh, we've had uh, dogs and ducks, and it well, makes the, me, oh, it, it you was know, recorded in a barn. So, that's, <laughs> well, there you go. That's, well, you know, an album would be more appropriate. What's that? Animals, pet, pet sounds. Pet oh, sounds. <laughs> you're gonna say animals by Pink Floyd? It's that's funny. Right. I went to Pink Floyd, and you guys went straight to the Beach Boys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Doug, you were talking. You were saying something. You, you weren't. Um, Violating Directive 13. Yeah, I was I was saying that I struggled with this record, and this is Cuddy singing, right? Yeah. Cuddy's voice was one of the main problems I had. I, I don't understand that. Well, I don't understand that that's, either. You're fortunate that I'm here because I'm about to explain. Please do. <laughs> the human body has an immune system, and it builds up immunities by infections and invasions. Uh, I have an immune system, too. And it responds uh, to music. So sometimes there are things we hear that remind us of other things we've heard uh, that are bad. And his voice reminds me of many of the popular singers in Nashville, who are actually good singers, but songs are, are ridiculous. That that was part of the problem. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. It'll probably be easier for y'all to relate to. There is a type of saxophone solo from the 70s that <laughs> if you turn on the Yacht Rock station you'll hear it over and over and over again a Jerry Rafferty uh, Al Stewart yeah. you can name a thousand of them uh, there's nothing wrong with a saxophone that sounds that way but it makes you think of um, that that cheesy some of the cheesy stuff that came out in the 70s so we're going to hear it next week yeah. with uh, our artist and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that and it you have to discipline yourself to not let associations, um, well, frankly, I think some of those associations got all over Tony during the ELO album. But um, um, they did. And again, I, uh, to be to be unfair or fair and unfair, <laughs> there was a little bit of revenge involved in my analysis <laughs> of that album. What, what was I hating on before yeah. that? Was it Rush? It was Rush. No, yeah. but I like that album now. I just um, I, I just think they're funny. Um, anyway. <laughs> 
I, I, I get what you're saying, Doug. If I can, if I can wrap it up in a bow, is it that there's just it's too pristine? There's not any. There's not enough sort of. Uh, uh, well, I do think his voice is great. His his voice is technically very good. It's full. Uh, he's his pitch is perfect. Uh, but it is there. I think there are well, some there are some affectations in it, and mm-hmm. it's it's perfect and and not interesting. There's nothing. There's nothing to me that's interesting about it. Now, ha- having listened to the album more and more and more, that has faded. But when I initially said I was struggling with, with you, uh, that was one thing, and, and one of the songs we're about to get to is, was a big one that, that made me not understand what we were... Of course, like everything else, you can't judge an album till you've heard it a bunch. Well, so we'll get to that. I, go ahead, Jam. Okay, so a couple of things I want to say about this song and how it relates in, in the bigger pictures, the whole album. To me, this is a throwback to the 70s in a way. You know, back in the 70s, you know, you would just kind of have those, uh, it seemed like there was a lot of musicians like talking about the Cat Stevens type stuff. We mentioned Poco, Dan Fogelberg, where the songs are all about kind of the same sort of stuff with diamond, you know, we're looking at stars and there's diamonds in our eyes and, and all these words. And to me, this song starts off in that direction. It, talking about writing your name and her name in the sand, which I think actually happened. It's based on the, what the whole song's based on. But it's a lot of times those songs don't know when to quit. And I'm thinking about songs like, uh, I mean, Dan Fogelberg writes really, really long songs. Sometimes I just wish he would it'd be a good song if he would just make it shorter. Well, you're right yeah, about that on this change song. Change the words and have someone else sing it. <laughs> oh, he's talking about Dan Fogelberg, not Jim Kelly. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm I've seen, it. But, I, but it, to me, the, he, this song just it, it shouldn't be the first song in the album. And it, it, this is where I think that they could have done with a producer, where a producer could have like let's hone this in. It's almost like the keyboard player is going, "Uh oh, what am I supposed to be doing? Okay, I'm supposed to be playing." Well, I think something. the I think the electric guitarist definitely is saying that. Oh, God, the electric guitar. That solo is just one of the most boring. I want to to hold off on that because that needs to be the finale. I I want to talk about the keyboardist. Hold on. I don't understand what the piano sounds. The piano sounds uh, thin to me on a lot of these Yeah, me too. I don't understand that. Yeah. I don't know if it's a real piano or if they just got one of those. This is back back when when pianos were first starting to become or... uh, Electric pianos are possible. So One more question before you go, Tony, is... Mm -hmm. What's up with the drums? And this isn't a criticism. Uh, this is one of the things that made this this first song uh, more interesting to me is because there's something about the drums that sounds different than I'm used to. Do you, I don't like the way the drums are mic'd. I think that they're. I think he's a good drummer, but I I don't think they were mic'd right. Well, it um, it's unusual sounding to me, and I appreciated that because I. I was getting scared there was going to be too much musical and verbal cliches, yeah. but that, that drum really set it apart. The other thing they do that sets uh, songs apart, which isn't on this, is the, the organ. The, I think the organ yeah. is really rich. I on think songs. the organ's really great. Yeah. You know, uh, Doug, I'll, real quick, uh, the thing I think that you're hearing that's different is he's using hot sticks, and I don't know if you've ever... They're, they're really they're more popular in the 80s and 90s, but it's basically... Um, wood pieces of wood, really thin pieces of wood put together that are being held together by a band, and that's what you're playing. That's okay. It, it's that kind of sense. it's kind of a yeah. It's kind of like a uh, a cross between brushes and sticks. Okay, that's so exactly it, what I'm talking about. It gives it a, like a rattle. Gives it 
everything kind of sounds like well, I, did think, I did think that was more interesting. I, I thought Hot Sticks was an, a, a late 70s Rod Stewart song, but what do I know? <laughs> I thought it was a snack you get at the convenience um, store. I, look, first of all, uh, I'm not going to disparage Jim Cuddy's voice at all. I think it's great. I don't have a problem with it being. Um, I mean, we talked about a lot of singers that have almost perfect, perfect voices. I get, I get, I get what you're saying, Doug, about how you'd like it. It's to have not it. his fault. Yeah, it's the association. And the well, association and I never had. I guess I never had that association yeah. with him. Well, for, for the audience, there's two kinds of music. I love every kind of music in the entire world, even music I haven't heard from other countries, even atonal stuff. But I hate. Most rap, no, that's not true. I hate all rap, and I hate what comes out of Nashville that's on country radio. It, it just, um, I asked, my, my wife likes that kind of music, and I said, please put on the uh, Spanish music, because at least I don't know what they're saying. Um, <laughs> but, so that's that's why it sent, that's why it triggered those um, antibodies in my, in so my mind. So I, I think musically, yeah. though, it it's to me this a song like this is more akin to something like Chris Isaac would have done, mm-hmm. or even yeah. the Mavericks. I mentioned I didn't mention the yeah. Mavericks when we were talking about the I band. Think, I think Chris Isaac's a good, but Chris Isaac yeah. definitely on this. And so it's 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 def to me it doesn't sound like modern country music. It do- this song doesn't. Yeah, but the voice the voice made my, my okay. You know my T cells got going. I got you. I yeah. Got you. Yeah. I think I think I think it's a uh, I think it's a fantastic four minute song. It's a shame that it's not four minutes long. Well, then that oh, brings us to yeah. the guitar solo. Yeah. And uh, this, ladies and gentlemen, this is why you need friends and a producer. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Pete Anderson would have said would have done something. I mean, they they this band routinely talks about how they have trouble editing themselves, and uh, it's too. funny. It's funny. Uh, Doug and I talked briefly uh, yesterday about how I. I had to force myself to listen to this album a little bit more critically because the the guitar solo never bothered me in the past. But <sighs> listening to it with the the open ears of okay, we're talking about this album and trying to analyze a little bit, it it stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think the first time I heard this back in I don't know pretty soon after it came out, I just <laughs> zipped through it. I mean, I, I hit I hit the the uh, the, du- the double button. the double Fs. Yeah, the double up. <laughs> well, I and it just uh, coming back to that. I couldn't figure out like back then why what was bothering me about this. Song. Well, you know what? Maybe the guy was just going on because he's making a demo, and then yeah, he just left that's it. That's exactly gonna, what I think happened. We're going to leave exactly this on the floor for sure when we re-record. Well, there's, and then and there's two, somebody said, "Oh, I don't know." I think there's like stuff. three keyboard solos in it too. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's totally unnecessary. The uh, oh, it's too much harmonica. I don't mind the harmonica at all. Yeah, that, I I agree that I would have turned down the harmonica, but I don't like harmonica very much. I, I don't mind the harmonica at all. Um, I'm not a big I, harmonica fan. I don't think it it hurts the album at all, and sometimes it's an enhancement. But I I don't. Who's playing that guitar lead? I, I'm guessing it's. I'm guessing it's. I don't know. I was going to guess. I'm not. I don't know who it is. I'm, I, I, I for some reason think it's Greg Keeler, but I have no idea if that's the case or not. Well, I, I made up a whole story. This this happened to me while I was listening to it and and running, and I made up a story that this guy finds a girl. It's kind of like the Rosie story from Jackson Brown. Finds a girl, brings her into the uh, uh, bar to hear him play on this uh, play this song in front of the the bar, and he's up there and he's going, "All right, here's my big uh, here's my big lead," 
and he's getting ready to really impress her. And he looks up and she's talking to some guy not even paying attention. <laughs> and so he starts getting louder and louder. Yeah. And then he starts getting yeah. angrier. Then he starts making mistakes. Yeah. And then he throws his guitar and runs out of the room and someone else picks it up and puts the solo back together in a nice form. So I, I that's what it sounds like solo, to me. The whole solo to me is just I think it starts out. Uh, I don't think I, I agree. I agree with Doug. It starts out okay. It's way too long. It gets into that weird territory where the guy does sound like he's angry for some reason, and uh, which would be maybe appropriate in a different song. You, you know, one thing I just wanted to circle back around to until we before we go to the next song. Uh, if we're done talking about uh, disparaging the guitar solo, is uh, <laughs> JM mentioned the writing in the sand. So that was a true story. I think it was their sound engineer when they were touring in Australia yeah. wrote his name, wife's name in the sand. And uh, Jim Cuddy said, why are you doing that? He goes, I do it everywhere I go because it's a way for me to, when I travel, to be connected with my wife. And he thought, that is God, that's the most romantic thing I've ever heard. So he combined that with the story of meeting his wife. Evidently, what I've read is that Jim Cuddy met his wife in a hurricane shelter. So he just combined those two things. It's a great place to meet chicks. (laughs) Where do you find a hurricane shelter in Canada? I have no idea. I thought they were all pooped out by the time they got that far. North. I have no idea, but uh, and maybe it wasn't in Canada. Who knows? But uh, so I, I don't know. I think I think I know you mentioned the lyrics. I don't think the lyrics are bad on this song. I, I mean, they're I'm sort not, of it, storytelling, if you will. But um, okay, so but but to me, the the lyrics. I'm going back to that '70s, where not just on this song, but on almost on every song, it it seems like it's going into that Dan Fogelberg style of writing. Where it's not really, he's not trying to make any point. He's not trying to take you into any sort of new feelings or anything like that or any new thoughts. He's, well, what can I talk, what's love like? Oh, getting diamonds in your eyes or looking at the stars and the moon and the clouds coming over and the sun coming up over the mountains. I mean, there's so much of that that it's, and there was so much of that in the 70s where there was that Western rock, you know, Pure Prairie League is a quintessential guys that do that. Oh, they do it really well. This is like, Michael Murphy and Pure Prairie League put together. I, the, these the lyrics, lyrics of Michael Murphy. I, I don't think these and, lyrics are anywhere near as cheesy as what you're making them sound out to be. I don't. I don't. That, in this song, there's. I wouldn't see a problem with any of the lyrics in this song. When I when I was talking about the lyrics, it, that that'll come up later. Okay. I do like I'm, him I'm, writing I'm, his in the sand. You know who else wrote in the sand, right? Cowgirl. No. Mm-hmm. She was in the sand. Jesus. That's the second question I'm gonna ask him when I get to. Uh, the pearly gates is because why are there gates why is this a gated community is that the first question <laughs> no i know why there's gates i'm gonna ask them ladies called cotton adultery and they say what are we gonna do moses says the stoner and he gets down and he writes in the sand but no one ever tells you what he writes maybe he wrote, her, I, maybe he wrote her name in the sand what i heard is that he wrote, he was writing the names of other men that had been with her in the wow. sand i like that story i don't know if it's true is there another song on this album? <laughs> There's lots of other songs on this album. <laughs> well, up next we have hasn't hit me. Yet. Hasn't hit. Oh me yeah, yet. hasn't hit me yet, which I think was a hit, at least a Canadian hit. This ain't nothing new to me. Well, it's just like going home. You 
stopped it early. One of one no, of that's the most where it stopped on this. Song. I understand. One of the most ex- the thing I really like about this song is when it decides to get going. Oh yeah, and yeah. the drums, the the drums come in and they do a whole bunch of unexpected and wonderful things uh-huh. to get the thing uh-huh. moving. No, I yep. think I think that point in the song is really great. I, I this song is there's there it starts off with just a mandolin and an acoustic guitar, and then when that point hits, it's not just the drums. the The piano kicks in, the steel kicks in at that point. Yeah, and the steel kicks and in, and the song yeah. does something, as you said, Doug, just remarkable at well, that it's, point. <laughs> it's like you're in an aircraft. Yeah, I love the <laughs> I love taking off in airplanes where you you. The plane seems so impossibly clumsy, <laughs> slow, and stupid as it's backing out of the gate and trying to get around. And then when it gets in that straight line and he hits it and you your back yeah. goes against the seat, that's how I feel like this song does when it it's starting yeah. slow and it's taxiing. And then, boom, and then you're off yeah. the ground and you're flying. I, uh, yeah. It's a very attractive song. And it's I've, I've seen uh, videos of them playing live where... <laughs> The whole crowd is singing every single word, yeah. and it's a big crowd. So you mentioned yeah. it being a hit. It was number eight, a uh, number eight single, um, and a number eight uh, con- old adult contemporary single, both in Canada. It's going to be hard for me. I really don't want to sound like a broken record, but it's going to be hard for me not to talk about the steel guitar on this album. And this song in particular has a remarkable steel solo in it. Yeah, it's got it. And the you, this could have been the first song on the album. I agree. It, just, it has everything that this band is good at. And I, one thing I will say, I love the steel playing. I love the playing in and of itself. This is another one I think could have been reined in just a little bit. Oh, I think this song is perfect. I, I was going to say I agree with you in terms of this song represents everything this band is good at. This is this is a quintessential great Blue Rodeo song. My, this song does not feel five minutes long to me. No, I don't think it needs to be shortened at all. And, and I enjoy all of the instruments, everything that's going on. And again, this is a band I never heard of before. So as soon as I hit this song... My brain had to go through some adjustments <laughs> again because I heard Robert Earl Keane all through this sure. song. And yeah, there's a red dirt country element to it. Well, okay. I'm talking about the voice. Uh, I, I had to keep saying, this isn't Robert Earl Keane. This isn't Robert Earl Keane. And I'm not mm. accusing him of copying Robert Earl Keane at all because I know that's not impossible. But again, this is with me. That's not with the band. That's yeah. It took me a long time to stop hearing Robert Earl that's funny. I never heard that, but I got into. Did this. you hear this I before? Did. I, I, heard, I, heard I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I I think of West Textures and yeah. Genie as a waitress. And I like I like Robert Elkin's song uh, voice most of the time. So that's yeah. not a, that's not a criticism, and it's not the guy. And it's not a criticism for me either. It's like good. I, I don't. There's a lot of red dirt country I actually like. I'm not a fan Robert. of the red dirt for the most part. Well, what is red dirt? Red dirt, I would say, is where there's a, the acoustic guitars are getting strummed and it's pretty hard, and you got some drums that are pretty prominent in the mix, pretty high up, and you got you know the bass and the kick drum are right together. It's kind of got that country element to it, but there's just uh, you know, and the songs are easy, and this song isn't necessarily a difficult song to to play, even though it's a little more. Uh, well, what I meant, JM, is that name comes from the Red River. Yeah, the Red River. Red River. Right. Uh, which is red because of the dirt. Yeah, we dro- when we drove over it when I was on my I went up to Oklahoma recently to go see Elvis Costello and Nick did you Lowe. Get dipped on the way back. Yeah, no, just yeah, I did. I they they sprayed me down when I crossed the border, but I I had forgotten how absolutely red that river is. I mean, it's a perfect yeah. name for yeah. it. It's, mm-hmm. well, in Colorado, 
is the other Red River, yeah. and it isn't nearly as red. Yeah. Speaking of JM up there in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure that almost all of y'all have quit listening to us ramble about rivers. Uh, up next is a song called Bad Timing, and this also was a hit. So this is quintessential Jim Cuddy ballad. There, every Blue Radio song has at least or album yeah. has at least one of these, if not more than one of them on there. Yeah. Um, I really, I, I really like this one. First thing I did, what I usually do when I look up these, when we're, we're doing research for these albums, I went to the All Music Guide and I was looking down the credits, and it said Rodney Crowell composer. And I know there's a Rodney Crowell song on this. I thought it was this song. I was listening because it sounds so much like a Rodney Crowell type song to me. It, it sound, it's a very good song. Um, well, it, it seems like it could have been hit for somebody else too. I'm going to uh, be the turd in the punch bowl again. This one sent my uh, sent me into DefCon Five. I was <laughs> I was oh, is Tony serious? Because this sounds again. This has all the trappings of that Nashville stuff. I hate. It sounded like a song that maybe Kenny Rogers would sing or all those guys that have the bedazzled jeans that I don't even know who they are anymore. So this one is what really threw me for a loop and made me say, this is going to take a lot of hard work. I I think this song is great. I agree with Jam. I think it makes this sounds effortless for him to be doing it, Jim Cuddy. And uh, I don't think it sounds like Nashville at all. I mean, it's a pretty song. It's got some, it feels more authentic to me than anything coming out of Nashville. You know, one of the things it has is that little sum up line at the end. Oh, that it's just bad timing, that's all? Yeah. We both have to look back at it. It was just yeah. bad timing. And yeah, that's, we give a little I thought, bit, that, I thought what, he was saying that time in Nassau. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's what I thought he was saying, too. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. It took me a while. But anyway, uh, that would this would be my least favorite song on the album, and I'm going to go ahead and confess one more time that a lot of this is unfair associations. Uh, the guy has a I, I, very strong voice. I, that's again, that's why I thought it was a Rodney Crowell song, because Rodney Crowell does those kind of mm-hmm. nice little things that you know wrap up at the end. And, well, that's that's I, all over Nashville now, where it's yeah, his daddy. Never gave up on him at all, or whatever they're singing about. Um, You'll be walking tall. One of those little wrap up deals. Anyway, yeah. Tony's getting angry. So I'm not getting angry. I just—it's just—it's surprising to me that uh, you don't hear that—that that whole. Um, why this? Go ahead. I'm sorry. You go ahead. I don't know what I'm gonna say. Well, well why this? Why this song has not been covered? Kind of a mystery. I'm sure it has like, been. I'm yeah, sure it has. It been. seems like to me like it should be a bigger hit for like. I would, um, I would think it would be covered quite a bit, but there's but it's obviously yeah. appealing to most people. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was you said it was a hit. It was number fifteen on the Canadian country chart or adult contemporary charts, and number seventeen on the top singles chart. Uh, so it wasn't as big a hit as hasn't hit me yet. But yeah. I would think you could put that on American radio and have a hit in no time. Nobody in America seems to be interested in listening to this band, so I don't. Again, don't quite get it, but. I know both times I've seen him. Once was the Electric Lounge, and the second time I think at some club on Sixth uh, Street, but it's not there anymore. Real Electric Lounge is not there anymore. 
Well, nothing there shit. anymore. Uh, All right. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is my last time to be really mean to these guys. Uh, I'm about to get really unmean because of this next song. But before Tony plays this next song, I have a challenge for Jonathan J. Rowe and Power Pop T. Pair me for this song with one word. Ebullient. <laughs> what do you say? Ebullient. Ebullient. You're going to get mail about that, Jam. <laughs> um. I was just, I don't, one word? I, I don't know. Upbeat? That's two words. Upbeat is not two words, it's one word. It w- used to one be, word. it used to be two before they got together. Um, <laughs> the correct answer is birds. Oh, <laughs> really? Oh, Are you yeah. kidding me? I can see that. Maybe, yeah. That's, uh, huh. I'll have to, I'll have to put, put my bird's hat on when we listen to the, the clip. All right. We ready? Okay, I can see it. That now I see it's it. It's the now part when we, we could, could watch, watch the spaceships. spaceships. And, yeah. I just hey, that. Hey, yeah. Mister Space. Yeah, man. no, I can I can see it now. That hooked me right away, and it's a fantastic song. It's a wonderful song, and this is probably uh, my favorite song on the album. It is. I, it's, it's my favorite. By it's far. it's not my favorite by far. It's a great song. It's not it's my favorite by far. And, oh, seeing him live do this, a keyboardist was just. I've uh, never seen a guy do this before. He picked up a his keyboard that's not supposed to be picked up. He was patted on his shoulder and was playing a, that keyboard line on it. Uh, that Jim Gray guy. But um, that's, that that makes me sad because he's trying to be cool like the guitar player, so he doesn't have to go alone, home alone. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's the, a great. The harmonies are amazing on that's it. Uh, amazing harm. That's one of the bird things. Uh, the harmonies yeah. are amazing. Uh, the energy. Is wonderful. There's a girl singing on this, right? Yeah, yeah. There is a girl singing on this. Um, it is. Uh, I think it's a cello player um, singing. On yeah, it. I don't think it's Sarah McLachlan. Yeah. No, it's the. Uh, yeah, it's Anne Bourne sings on it. Well, the she's, cello player. She's she sounds really appropriate. Uh, her yeah. voice is right for. This. And this song earns the "It's Hard to Listen to It Once" award for I, sure. I yeah. think I think there's several songs from this point forward that are hard to listen to once. Yeah. I to be honest with you. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I would suggest if you are going to get on the computer and pick one to listen to to help get into it, I suggest Cynthia very much. It's, uh, again, a, a fantastic steel solo in the middle of this. Incredible steel solo. And I love the drums. It's got that drum sound you were talking about earlier. Uh-huh. And to me, they sound, like they're, they, they sound like they're in the, the middle of what they're for. They're... they're yeah, precisely hitting all on all cylinders, doing yeah. exactly what they're good at. Which I'm not, mm-hmm. no, I, I, I'm not I, qualified to talk about that. No, I think this is a perfect. Uh, you know, we talked about it hasn't hit me yet being a, a quintessential blue radio song. What they do well. This is also one of those songs. Uh, as is, I would I would hazard to say the next song as well. There's another song. Yeah, get faster. Got to get faster. Now I said something earlier, and this is a contradiction. This song photograph. Is it does step out of the normal subject matter for most of the songs uh-huh. here? Uh-huh. Yeah, very interesting song. All right, all right, and this is singing this one. Jim Cuddy sings this one. Jim Cuddy singing this one. 
I love that song so much. I do too. Yes, another. And, this is another one I can't believe not. That's my favorite. That's my favorite song yeah. on the album. Well, one of the reasons that I this isn't my favorite is I absolutely cannot uh, relate to this subject matter whatsoever. Why? That was a joke. Tony. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a song called Photograph, and I guess he's got a photograph left from this experience. Is, is that what we have here? I think so. This is uh, not a... It's a happy song about a unhappy ending. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, this woman rips him off. Yeah, she's a con artist, kind of. She makes him think that he's the... In case you haven't noticed, uh, ladies, if you, <laughs> if you make some guy think he's hot and uh, desirable, he will willingly believe that, despite all the evidence he's had his whole life against it. And uh, that woman takes advantage of that aspect of men and walks out with all his stuff. I, I'm not sure why she takes his clothes. My favorite thing about the song, though, is that he does. It doesn't matter one bit. He'd do it all again. Yeah, at the end, <laughs> yeah, he admits yeah. that he's such an idiot that he's yeah. he's going to sign up for that program one more time. I, I haven't mentioned this yet, but one of the things about this band in general, their their entire discography, is it it does this thing that I talked about on American Beauty, in that. Even their songs that are happy have a, a melancholy kind of feeling, feeling to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're both, mm-hmm. they bring both joy and there's this weird sort of sadness to them as well. And this song feels that way to me. This song is so much fun, but at the same time, there's something underlying uh, musically that it is not like you, it's not just unbridled joy. There's something else going on. Yeah. There, but well, yeah. there's obviously something that's not happy about it, but. Well, yeah, the Again, subject the guys, matter. The guy but... has a great attitude, and when we think about the other artists that we we've covered, that this actually did happen to, uh, it turns out much better for this guy. <laughs> who was that? <laughs> I'm surprised, Tony. I was sure you would know which one. An artist who had his wallet and clothes stolen out of a hotel room. Oh, geez, yeah. Sorry. It was Sam Cooke. Sam yeah. Cooke. Yeah. 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 Um, he I... should have handled it this way <laughs> instead of getting shot. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Sam Cooke fans. I didn't mean to bring up something sad. <laughs> but this is another song that's perfect for them. You know, they. I. I. I will admit. Um, I get why the ballads, or at least the ballad on this album, and probably other ballads, would probably m- make you feel the way you do, Doug, in terms of struggling with it. But when they when they hit this this kind of stuff, this really, and I'd say yeah, this is this is what they this are great at. This. Yeah, yeah. This sort is this is really, you know, this is really where it, where it, where the rubber meets yeah. the road, so to speak. One. One thing to mitigate some of what I've said is most of the time when I'm listening to this record, I listen to it a lot. I may have hit this one harder than, I don't know the last time I hit one this hard, but I was really thinking if they came to Austin, I will for sure go see them because this all sounds like music that would wonderful live. I think I would just, unless they're all dead now, but. um, They're not, they're not all dead. (laughs) They just don't come to the States anymore. Well, this is Texas. We're our own country. That's right. They need to come down here. I've got a question for both of you. <laughs> oh, God, yes. What is love? Oh, should we find out? Don't hurt me. It's not that one? No. Mm-mm. All right, here we go. What is, what love? is love, ladies and gentlemen? 
don't get to hear uh, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah, Sarah, Sarah which is really yeah. a very haunting. It's a, it's a hot highlight of this song. Um, you know, normally I'm a sucker for these kind of songs. Yeah, I, I was with, waiting with, to hear what you had to say about yeah, this one. It was with those, you know, tom toms going and you know the, the swelling. What's a tom tom? Uh, uh, well, a tom tom is it's more a style of playing, but it, it's where you hit the the floor tom and the, or the right. Tom You're talking about a, big drum. drums. It's not Big the snare, drum. not the bass drum. It's not the hair. Yeah, it's not snares and the bass drum. We're hitting the, the, the floor, the, the drums that are on the floor. Or it's not a the... navigating device either. No. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. But, uh, yeah, it's a, and I like the way this starts off with those, uh, you know, the, the, I guess that's a cello doing the, or maybe a violin doing those, you know, the strings, the, the bow is going across. Whatever, it's making that noise that I it's really a, do. Yeah. It's a cello. I do, yeah. I dig that sound quite a bit. And I don't know what um, that is. It's it's like a cello's feedbacking, but it's not. Well, you get what you do. You make a harmonic by turning the bow in a certain way. Uh-huh. And it, it kind of scrapes the, 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 the string almost with the, the wood of the... So you're, only, you're using a much thinner part of the bow. So and you're getting it, two it, tones at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, it works. So it's, it's pretty cool. It works very well on this. I love it, the way this album's produced... I, the lyrics to me are just kind of, yeah. I, I make a point of not focusing on the lyrics on this song because there's nothing wrong with them. There's just nothing profounder. Well, and I, and I don't think they're the purpose of the song. I don't it's, a, it's six minutes of instrument yeah. of like atmosphere. That's almost, yeah, it is. Um, the proud we found, we found uh, lyrics. And the, the two voices together are excellent. Yeah, um, yes. this yeah. this is not unlike this is not unlike "Give Me Shelter" in that you got a oh. female vocalist that outshines the male vocalist, but the somehow the male vocalist is still uh, necessary for the song. Um, yeah, but she is the star here, just as what's her face was in "Give Me Shelter." I can't remember her name. That's I can't remember. Her name. She, was, she was in uh, Twelve but, Feet from Stardom or whatever that great yeah, show she was. was. Eight months. Yeah, she was eight months pregnant. Yeah, they called her at one in the morning or something. Yeah. So it's funny, Jam. You said that normally you love these this kind of song, but it uh, I guess you sort of pulled it. I'm just the opposite. This is not a song I would typically embrace. It's funny because y'all sound like you're switching places on this one. But I, but I like. Well, I this was always a song that I never gave much attention to until really listening to it for the for the podcast and trying to listen to it critically, and I really got to where I enjoyed it tremendously. Like I looked looked forward to it when it came on occasionally. Uh it's not my favorite song, but it it's a nice it's a nice sort of mellow atmospheric break. Um but I, it's you know you said it's mellow and that sounds wrong. Yeah. Because you're right. it's not relaxing. No, it's not. No, it's not right. there's a tension the there's a definitely there's tension. A definite it's tension. not and chill. that's caused by the strength. Yeah. So I think that's the, the, well, the voices that tension. Yeah. The voices are anguished. Um I have a question for you two gentlemen. Mm-hmm. It's been brooding for a long time. What Canadian band does this remind Doug Cooper of? I have no okay. idea. I'll give you a hint. One word hint. Trinity? Cowboy Junkies? Oh. oh Cowboy Junkies. Well, yes. they're, from, they're from the same scene, so it makes yeah, sense. Yeah, we should know. Yeah. I, yeah, I can see that. I heard that much. right away. And, um, oh, wow. I, I yeah, do, got, I do enjoy the Cowboy Bob. Junkies. Um, yeah, she could have sung Harmony on that's, this. Uh, one of Lindsay's Marco. favorite bands. Is that right? Yeah. Her grand, her her mom used to always call them the. Uh, oh, I forget. She would mis misname them every time. It was pretty funny. Some, anyway. And who's Lindsay? Oh, Lindsay's my wife. Sorry. Yeah, 
a very, very wonderful lady. If, if y'all met her, you would think that Tony was rich. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> most people go, how, how, how'd that happen? And she probably says that herself. Yeah, every day. Well, did they, uh, do you have the album of this? Uh, the LP? Uh-huh. I know. Okay, so we don't know if we flip over. Or I don't not. know if this was an album. This is uh, yeah. ninety was ninety three. I think this is just. Yeah. I think this was just released on CD. Yeah. J.M. Jonathan Rowe. Yes, you're a world traveler that's been almost everywhere in your uh, capacity as a tech guy that does something we're not going to talk about. Um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't do anything bad. It's just so boring. Whenever he talks about it, people <laughs> go to sleep. Um, where is English Bay? I don't know. It's in Canada. Is it Canada. It's in Canada. British yeah, Columbia. That's a, British Columbia. Over yeah. in that pretty watery part that is like Seattle without the kooks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the grunge. And this song is called English Bay. Yeah. English Bay. How do you feel about grunge, by the way, Tony? That's such a great song, too. It's wonderful. <laughs> and that Dobro, we talked about the Dobro oh, earlier. Yeah, Dobro, that's got to be yeah. a Dobro, right? So appropriate. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, I, I, this may be my favorite song on the album. I, I, I know I said Cynthia was earlier. It's, it's, it's between these. Um, I love this song. It, this is the most pure Prairie League sounding song on the album. You know, you know who it um, reminds me of? And this is going to be weird unless the same thing strikes you. It's the melody, the tune itself reminds me of a John Denver song. And I could, I, I absolutely say, could see that. Because he hangs. I was, I was born in the summer. It's one of those where you have that almost I could, drone I, at the top, I, and then it comes down. I think this song is perfect for Greg Keeler's voice too. Absolutely it is. perfect. Oh yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's funny when I was uh, just real quick to bore everybody with this. When I was trying to decide between Casino and this this album, and I would go back and listen to the songs and try to give a weight as to which album was just more consistent. Once once you get to the point of um of Cynthia, it's like just every song after it's a yeah. struggle with yeah. like I, yeah. I I wanna listen to this song again after it plays. I, I agree um, with that. It's yeah. it's like uh the, well we've talked about a lot of albums. One side is better than the yeah. other. I don't think yeah. this side I don't think this is that way, but it does seem like it builds momentum as it goes on. Yeah, I mean this yeah. is it's perfect for his voice. Um yeah, it's it's just such a great song, and I would, and as you mentioned that Dobro, you sit there and you listen to that, and it just I just smile hearing it when it comes in. It adds mm-hmm. such a warmth to the sound. Of there the are song. a lot of smile yeah. songs on here, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it's they're, they're not like it's a weird sort of sad smile if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, it's not the monkeys. It's uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's, it's a mature, uh, older uh, resignation, but. It, it's, uh, that, I, I choose joy despite everything. It's like the smile you get when you think back at a memory, you know? Yep. That it, mm-hmm. It's a little melancholy, yeah. a little nostalgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I so, agree mm-hmm. with that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, next, we have a an expression, head over hills. Yeah. And I love this song, too. Oh.
we what a good song this is uh this follows that pattern i was talking about earlier perfectly it's i love this construction you have verse <laughs> pre-chorus and chorus and you think you're going when you're in the pre-chorus and then mm-hmm. you, the chorus takes you up another notch that you didn't think was out there really really enjoyable song the only question i have is to a and r guys why isn't why why isn't this song being covered by everybody? This sounds like such a hit. I, yeah. I don't understand why it wasn't a hit for them. But well, it peaked if at I number, were it peaked at number guy, four on the country charts for them. For them, yeah. I would bring this. I would walk into Nashville and say, "Who? I'd just go artist to artist and artist <laughs> until it became a hit because it's obviously yeah. a hit." Yeah. I mean, they're even them. Like, just why didn't they get a deal off of this? Well, I don't know why that's it's not a hit for them. But it, yeah. I, like all the others. Going back, and we heard a little bit in that in that clip. Going back to the piano, you said the piano sounds tinny. I think it works on this song. Those little I piano flourishes on this song, it, it it adds something, you know. I this, think it does too. Yeah, this song has so much energy. Um, yeah. That maybe maybe it's not carrying very much, and that's why it works. But it's a very it's an immediately accessible song, and yeah. uh, it's another happy song. It is. It's uh, is if I were T, T, I would say I'd roll my windows down and sing this one out loud while I was driving. I do that a lot with with this band. <laughs> which yeah. guy? Which guy do you sound like? Uh, I don't sound like either of them. I sound like somebody who can't carry a tune. But well, at least the at least it's windy and that's nobody has to suffer. Yep. Okay. Now we Next. come. Now we come to the cover. Now we're gonna, yeah. This is the only song on the album that wasn't written by. The two principal dudes, right? It it is it is the only it's a it's a um, Rodney Crowell song, and he writes songs. He does. <laughs> What's Ladies and gentlemen, part? till I gain control again. I don't want it. I don't want that song to stop when it's playing. <laughs> they sound really good together on that. Yep. Jonathan Jamro. I'm not asking yep. Tony because we already had this discussion, but <laughs> I would like you to tell me how many people you know that have covered this song. Well, I know Amy Lou Harris has done it. Ding. Um, someone had a number one country hit with it, Jam. Someone had a number. Oh, uh, Willie Nelson. Nope. Ding. He he covered it though. He did cover it. Uh. I guess it wasn't Emmy Lou. No, someone with really long hair. That's a hint. And a famous sister. Yeah. Crystal Gale. Yep. Ding. Really? Yep. I didn't know Crystal Gale sang this. Yep. Number one hit in 1982. Huh. And probably the that's... least interesting of all the covers. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just it's not, not that it's interesting. Just, it's it's yeah, sort of milk they toasty. It's they they take they take they homogenize it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Alison yeah, Krauss. Yeah, Alison Krauss did it. I, you I, have I, two I've more that are very, very interesting. Uh, the, uh, there's three more that have a connect that we've done a- episodes on. Three more artists. Well, no, you meant uh, yeah, three more artists we've done episodes on. I don't know. Who Sometimes Doug this? Cooper gets really upset about certain people being buried in Arizona. <laughs> Waylon, Waylon, and 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 sometimes Doug gets upset about certain people being from New York. <laughs> Jerry Jeff, Ding, one Ding. more, one Who more. Covered this. Probably you're and Doug's favorite artist. Uh, 
Van Morrison. Yep. Ding. Did he do it on that out that the, uh, pay country? the devil? Yeah, pay the devil. Yep. I saw him on that tour. Out on the road. All right, now that we now we bored everybody with that. But, oh, um, people love that uh, aspect of uh, our program. I, I think I'm biased here. I love what they've done to this song. It's the most upbeat of any of those versions. That's true. And it's I yeah. think it really works with this song. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to knock Willie ever, never knock Willie singing a song, but uh, I, I think the, I think the Blue Radio version is is remarkable as well. Well, well and th- those two version. don't compete together no. uh, at all. They're they're yeah. completely different. Willie's slow and and uh, it's a pretty empty <laughs> production and. Yeah, I love it. Was was this written yeah. for? Because uh, it was on Emmy Lou's nineteen seventy five album, Elite Hotel. Was it written for her? Do we know? I have a feel. I think it was because she was. He was a member of her band. Yeah, he yeah, was in the hot, hot band. band. Yeah. yeah, and he wrote uh, a lot. He wrote about a third of everything she sang for the first five albums. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it says something that there's so many people have felt uh, the need to sing this song about just the type of song it is. We forgot one person who has it on their record. Who's that? Rodney Crowell. Oh, yeah. Jeez, I forgot about The guy who wrote it also re- recorded it. It's a good version, too. Yep. Yeah. I, most of those versions are all good. It's just a good song. I, and, uh, of course, I heard Willie first, so that's my favorite. But. Well, Blue Rodeo is my favorite, but I'm not going to never, never, never knock Willie. Well, I've got the Emmy Lou. I've got that album that it's on. I do, too. That's a great album. Yeah. I do, yeah, too. So don't album. think you're better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of albums that it's not on, too. <laughs> All right, here's a mysterious song, Dark Angel. My dark angel, she gave me diamonds for eyes. She walked by, now I'm hypnotized by this dream that just won't my favorite use of his voice on this record. Mine too. I saw. I remember the time that I saw him live. This song stood out to me because it was just him and that pianist, and it was just beautiful. It, it, it's an achingly beautiful song. Yeah, yeah. And I love people when they're smart enough to strip everything. I, I say, everybody leave the room. See, I'm gonna say, yeah, because I love the way it's done live. This to me, you could have put like one of those Tom Waits orchestras behind it. No, thank and you. It, I, I understand, but I think you could have. JM, um, you're you're are you, you're you're like Jeff Lynn. You want to put strings on everything. <laughs> I mean, it seems like every time we're talking about something, like you could slap their strings all over this. These guys don't have. Uh, it's not blue orchestra, so they're not obliged to have the strings well, like okay, Jeff but Lynn. Like, has. think about, but think about what the strings did for Southern Accents. You know, like you could have had. Some, I, I'm not saying I, I love this song. Uh, I love the vert, vert uh, the way that it's done. I would concede that if I heard Southern accents done like this, I would be like it better. No, I I would be saying no strings, get away from here. Uh, so I will concede that point. I think that point. But Southern accents is such an unusual yeah. use of strings that uh, I yeah. ten out of uh, ten but, out but of twelve about, would like, go bad. But think about um, on the nickel, like how those strings just add so much. They do, that. but that song's not. Just, I mean, you got him growling. It's not the same. Uh, he can't yeah, right. do that by himself. So, you said this is your favorite use of his voice. He thinks this is his best vocal performance, and he attributes it entirely to Sarah McLaughlin. He said uh, she just brought it out of me. So I can see huh. that. 
Um, I can see that because she she does some harmonies on this too, and she just kind of. If she was singing with me, I would leave the room. It's such an (laughs) elegant song too. Um, But I'm surprised Jam didn't say it makes him boohoo. But it's a oh, it's a yeah. Well, (laughs) do uh, Canadians spell colors the same way the British? Yes. Hmm. Guess that's what happens if you're still under the king. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess you got to say that, right? The king now. Um, this was a single, which it was the fourth single on the album, and it would it was number nineteen uh, on the adult right. contemporary charts in Canada. But it's a, I mean, it's such a beautiful song, but it's an, I think an, kind of an odd choice for a single. Yeah, I think it is an odd choice for a single, and um, I would have picked quite a few others before that. That's not saying there's anything wrong with the song. It's just unlikely to grab someone while they're in the yeah. at the dance club. <laughs> no, but I mean or if you're listening if you're if you're listening to this album all the way through and this song comes on, it will grab you. It's if hard not if, to. Yeah. <laughs> your your point is if you're listening and yeah. you sing you sell singles to people who don't really you're right. listen. You're absolutely right. Point who, point taken. What do the people who uh really listen by? Albums. That's right, baby. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 1948. Uh-oh. We got him going, J.M. <laughs> and our last song, ladies and gentlemen. Well, is it? Two, well, it's of. a twofer. Yeah, it's our last two songs. A... We're not going to... Uh, yeah, anyway. Track 11 is You Know Where to Go, forward slash, Tell Me Your Dream. can't listen to the lyrics to this song because i am so intrigued by the guitar playing well that's not that's a guest guitarist on that first part of the song it's colin linden playing uh playing guitar yeah. on that but it's just it is striking the, it, there's parts where the dobro and the pedal steel are playing at the same time that are just fascinating and um it, usually that's a no-no it, but I, it, yeah I, I atmospherics feel, are incredible i feel like we need to play the second part of that song Oh, it's only I do too. I, because it's a different song. Yeah, we got we got to play the second part of that. Sometimes I wonder if you can read my mind, cause I was thinking the very same thing when I'm with you. All the stars shine through. Heart opens like a morning flower. It's also a hard song to stop. <laughs> yeah. What's that called, JM? Uh, it's called Acapulco singing. <laughs> Acapella singing. Yeah. This uh, this song makes you ask yourself, why isn't this done more frequently? I know. And the answer it, is I don't know. I, I, yeah. It, this little twofer here is the perfect way to wrap this album up. It does I, do a I'll good job, yeah. and they're in the right order too. Yep, absolutely. You and can't... I like that little weird uh, shimmering guitar interlude thing that's in between them. You know, it's it's great. And uh, just so we wrap that up, it's Sarah McLaughlin singing again, singing with uh, Greg Keeler on that song. Um, they they sound so good together. Those they two. ought to. They really they do. ought to do yeah. a project together. They really ought to. 
Um, but it, yeah, it, it's a I mean, both songs are are, are good. I, I really like them. I, I almost think they just could have been two separate songs. I don't know why they. I mean, just well, I mean, they really them. are. They, they really are. They're but. stuck. I think maybe for the runtime or something. Well, no, the runtime wouldn't uh, matter. Well, I don't know. It's fun to have have songs stuck together. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I'm, I'm a sucker for when songs run together. It, uh, but it's almost like they're they're two separate songs. Is my point. It's like they don't need to run into each other. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. there's almost like that that shimmering yeah. thing that's coming through. That could have ended it, and then they could have just gone to the next song. But instead, they kind of segue into that song. I, I don't. Well, I'm not knocking it, but I love them. I do too. I love yeah. segways, even if only mall cops ever used them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a continuation of our test. Uh, y'all done pretty well so f- well. No, y'all haven't done very well. Um, <laughs> I can't believe y'all missed the birds question to me. I thought it was. I thought Tony was going to roll his eyes for me being yeah. overstating the obvious. Uh, sorry. Um, you don't have to be sorry. It's your album, and you and you heard it for a long time, so it's hard for you to have a fresh take on it first song in this duo reminds doug cooper of what song okay it's hard it's opening farewell by jackson brown well you know what i that's another guy i would throw into a mix if you're going to say what what would you who could you say remind you because they sound they they definitely have a streak of jackson brown going through them so i get that 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 opening guitar bit sounds a lot like opening farewell and the, the tune's about the same yeah uh, yeah. It's not the same tune, but the same tempo and same mood and the same production. Yeah. The second song, what song does that remind Cooper? Wrong. Uh-huh. Were you there? Oh, yeah. No, I, oh, I, I can see that. Oh, the uh, old uh-huh. it, um, it That song always, I mean, it, it definitely feels that kind of, um, has that feeling to it, you know? But it's also, yeah. it's also very much that old school sort of, Carter family, yes, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, whatever you, you that real traditional yeah, sort of harmony, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I'm going to give these guys high praise for the order of the songs on this album. I would only switch one and two. I, I think, I think you're right. I think the sequencing on this album is really, really, really good. They, they seem to. Like it builds momentum when it needs to, and then it kind of eases they, you back down when they, it needs they to. They carry you to bed yep. and tuck you in, yep. and even say your prayers. We had a big day, didn't we, kids? <laughs> I wish I could fall asleep in front of the TV and wake up in my bed and not know how I got there anymore. That was so great when you could sleep that hard. Oh, when your parents would take you. To oh bed. yeah. Yeah. I now, just want to stay up for five more minutes. Now I just pass out in my chair in my living room, wake up yeah, and go, oh, my back hurts. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I get the bed and you laugh. Us. What have you been doing? <laughs> so uh, a couple of things I just want to talk about before we get to the ratings. Um, they, these guys are still going strong. As I said, they have. Uh, I think they're continuing to make great music. I recommended one of their albums on... Uh, I want to say the Jerry Jeff Walker podcast is our episode. I think I recommended one See, of your albums. Doing that, yeah. Um, but uh, just just to wrap up the whole, how much the can't, country of Canada loves these guys, they've won an unprecedented eleven Juno awards, including named Band of the Year five times. They're given a wow. star on Canada's Walk of Fame in two thousand nine. They were inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in two thousand twelve, and in two thousand fourteen, they were awarded the Governor General Performing Arts Lifetime Achievement Award. And they now have a, a road. There's Blue Rodeo Drive in Toronto, and they were given the key to the city, given the key to the city. So the, the, the country 
the country loves this band. I think that's great. I think it's great that they, they found an audience. I wish they, again, not to sound like a broken record, I wish they found an audience here. The other thing yeah. I think is really cool, kind of going back to the, the Grateful Dead podcast when we talked about that sing-along with Ripple that we posted on the website. I'm going to post this on our webpage about Blue Ready as well. During COVID in 2020, CBC Music organized and released this thing called the Great Canadian Sing-Along. And, this, and, and they had people weigh in on the songs they wanted to sing. And the song they picked was Lost Together by Blue Rodeo. So there's a video of, of all these people submitting. It's pieced together of submitting of uh, them singing the song Lost Together, all these different Canadians. Yeah. You know, one of those bring everybody together during the pandemic type of thing. Did they sing more than one? Uh, I don't know. That's they a good had question. to do four strong wins. Yeah. Uh, Canada, if you let me vote, I'm voting for four strong wins. <laughs> well, T. Yeah. That was quite a good album by a well-loved Canadian band. I'd like to congratulate congratulate myself for not saying Canadian one time. <laughs> During the whole podcast, as people say about the Canadian River up in uh, in the Panhandle of Texas. Um, we're gonna past it. We're gonna. Uh, talk about some ratings right now this was t's pick so we go straight to the colorado boy the colorado uh, right. kid yeah <laughs> uh, jonathan jm Rowe up there closer to canada than you guys are and dreaming of your starwood and, and aspen um yep. <laughs> what would you wait, would you please give us your personal rating followed by your pick is as we pretend that we're critics um, yes kind of like real critics do well, let me go with my critics rating first oh he's uh, such a rebel I am. Uh, my critics if rating. You were here. <laughs> I'm going to go with the uh, critics rating. I'm going to give it a four or five. And the only thing I'm going to knock it for is I think it could have been tightened up a little bit. I think you could almost take off the first song. I just don't think that song really goes anywhere. And you could have just, there's plenty of songs. I mean, the rest of the album holds up really, really well without that song. Critically, I'm going to give it a four or five. And I'm looking at what I wrote, and I wrote this a couple of days ago. Uh, I gave it a, a rating of 3.8, but I think I'm going to raise that to a 4.2. Again, I think that this, this song, the first song just needs to not be there. And there's too much harmonica. But the other, the reason why... You're too much harmonica, me, Jam. <laughs> um, this, oh, I've, you know. I've kind of touched on this a couple of times. There's this genre of music that I'm, I'm not really fond of but i have really nice memories of and doug will understand at that camp that we went to you had your michael mark we listened to a lot of michael martin murphy we listened to a lot of dan fogelberg on the dance floor those are the ones that we slow dance to and uh you know With david gates cloud suite yeah and that's you would try to go up to the girl that you had a crush on and ask her if you knew the song was going to be long you would want to go up and dance dance with her to that song and you really hope she got like a dan fogelberg uh Last song. Or that on, cloud uh, suite that went on forever. Well, that, yeah, the David Gates song. That nobody, yeah. It, it's that music I've grown not to be fond of, but I have such strong, good memories with, you know? And, but, and I think the thing that I, I have to kind of separate from is Casino to me is just such a tight album and such a fun album that listening to this album was just, oh, well, I, this just sounds like. Just acoustic guitar is like like pure prairie league does this stuff better and now i'm, I'm starting to rethink it so i I've, casino kind of clouded my my view of going into this so but personally i'm going to give it i think i'm going to raise it up to a four two 
And I think I will be listening to this album again. I might even listen to it over Casino the next time I'm given a choice between Blue Rodeo albums to listen to. So that's my rating. And there's some so, slow dance numbers for the chicks. There's some slow dance numbers. One that goes into, yeah, it's got a nice long nine-minute long song, dance song. Yeah, and the girl will be going, I can't believe this. why didn't I go to the bathroom? Um, <laughs> mine, mine's uh, going to be easy. I'm going to my critics rating. I think this is a four or five. I, I feel pretty pretty strong about that. I get. I think it gets dinged just a little bit. The I don't know how to talk about this. You know, when I listen to the blues, I don't care that the lyrics are not original or clever or something like that. And maybe uh, maybe I shouldn't expect that. But when I hear this kind of country rock uh, stuff, I guess I raise the bar for them. That may not be fair. There's nothing that's particularly. There's nothing that makes you roll your eyes in this, um, in this album. But there's there's a lot of these lines about looking out windows and rain and sunsets and stars dancing and I'm in a hotel room. And, well, it is an album about love. Yeah, it's. Yeah, you don't have to defend it, Tony. I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to explain where my reservations are with with the lyrics on this album. And and I'll, I'll freely admit I've got a lot of albums that have uh, more inane lyrics than that. These guys aren't poets. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But their their songcraft very admirable. I think they're both excellent singers. I think the production is almost always appropriate, except when that guy gets mad at the guy talking to his girlfriend in the back of the bar and the guitar solo. <laughs> and uh, there's there's a there's some variety on here. I guess Casino would not have the variety that this album has. It has some, but it's it's much. It, uh, Jam's right. It's a tighter album, and the songs tend to be kind of of the same flavor. So my. My personal rating is going to be four three, and I'm going to write that in pencil because I am going to continue to listen to this album, and I I wouldn't be surprised at all if I change that. I I think it will move up. Uh, as I said, I was really set back by some things that reminded the things about Nashville country dislike. So glad that we do this podcast because I had to power through that, and that's that's a big benefit. When you have to force yourself to listen to something that you don't initially grab onto, uh, it's one of the best things about this podcast from our perspective. T? Yeah. JM and I have done a great job of rattling on and on. Uh, what What do you say? First of all, I just want to apologize to everybody for not... I really wish that JM and I had argued to a point where I could have said, what are you, Rocky Mountain High? But I didn't get a chance to do it. Sorry. Uh, well, he'll be up there again. Uh, my critical ratings of 4.6. Um, just slightly higher than yours. I, I agree. I think that um, we've talked about this before. There's a little bit of a, hey, this is a CD, so we don't need to edit as much as we probably should. The song, I think the album's 56 minutes long. It probably could have been about 10 minutes shorter, maybe. I don't dislike any of the songs on the album, but there are some things, I think, that could have been tightened up a bit. So 4.6. Personal rating, I can give it a 4.9. I love this album. I love this band. It's really hard for me to be unbiased about how much I love this band. Um, I I don't ever get sick of listening to them. I don't ever get sick of listening to this album. Uh, it's it's just, uh, even listening to those clips, I had a big smile on my face. So, 4-9. Thank you, T. Speaking of Tony, at this time, since Tony is so much closer to the age of the hip teens out there today, we always like to go to Tony and say, Hey, Tony, what are the kids? He's kind of like the Dick Clark <laughs> Of the show, what are without the, kids? the Clark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, T, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> if 
your child understood that joke, I apologize for all this. Um, T, yeah. what are the kids listening to today? So I'm going to recommend an album that came out uh, in on June 30th of this year. So it's pretty fresh because it's, what, the 8th of July right now? Um, uh-huh. So... I've I've talked about uh, this these guys before in various or this guy before in various situations once uh, with the band the Ice Cold Singles and another time with the Waco Brothers. Uh, Dean Slabowski has released an album with his wife, who is uh, Joe Walston. Uh, Dean is from uh, is one of the founding members of the Waco Brothers, the only American in the band, and uh, Joe Walston was the singer and uh, writer for the Austin band, the Meat Purveyors. And so I, this is, this is a great album. It's a, it's, it's just called Dino and Joe, uh, and it's um, essentially a collection of songs that they've written that are in the traditional honky donk uh, frame, as well as a bunch of sort of deep covers in that same vein. And, and it's really great. It's got Mark Rubin from the Bad Livers plays upright bass on it. And uh, Robbie Folks plays flat, does some flat picking on it. Beth, Beth Chrisman from the Carper family plays fiddle. There's other musicians. There's a guy named Chris Stafford who plays just an incredible steel guitar on it. It's really great. I'm going to play an original of of theirs called My Evil Twin. It's a, If you listen to the lyrics, it's a song we can all relate to. So that's My Evil Twin, and the other song I would like to play, just to give you a different flavor, is an old Roger Miller tune uh, that they cover called A Man Like Me. Anyway, it's uh, if you like that kind of music, and I do like that kind of That's music, stuff. it's uh, worth worth uh, checking out. We'll if have you're one. two-stepping uh, to that second tune, yeah. you better be moving yep. or you're going to get run yeah. over. That's right. <laughs> that thing was going. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, a, it's, right. a great, it's a great album. Like I said, it was just recently released, but we'll have a link to purchase it um, on the website, and I highly, highly recommend it. Good stuff there, Tony. And thank you very much for that recommendation, and thank you all for letting us invade your eardrums with another episode of this is vinyl tap the podcast that always goes to 11 and we would like to remind you that we have a contest going on right now we are looking for a new tagline for our uh, podcast here we've uh, been using uh, short talks about long players but judging by this one this particular podcast recording we are going to be uh, this Over is not going to be a again. short yeah it's not going to be a short talk uh, so we're looking for that, uh, a new tagline. Please uh, let us know what you, you've come up with. You can uh, send it to us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com, or you can go up to our incredible website that Tony maintains, does a great job of maintaining it. Uh, you'll find all sorts of good stuff up there, and you can find ways in ways that you can get in touch with us, uh, and you can leave us your suggestion there for our new tagline. Uh, we're also on Twitter, and we have a Facebook group page. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album by one of the biggest artists of the 1970s and probably early 80s, Billy Joel, 
1977 album, The Stranger. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, asking you, what is love? 